0: Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do, the podcast where I, your host, debtor Dennis Maller, interviews artists and entertainers about their day jobs. And on this episode of the podcast, we are speaking to both an artist, an entertainer, and support staff of artists and entertainers, which is not a group of people I feature as much on this podcast as I would like. As someone who grew up as support staff for the arts and entertainment, uh, as someone who works behind the scenes in a lot of things when it comes to music, radio, TV, movies, acting, uh, comedy, you know all these things. I, not only am I in front of and the artist and the entertainer, I am also someone who's in the behind the scenes stuff. And on this episode of the podcast, we have somebody who fits all those bills as well. And might I point out, is a very long overdue conversation. Uh, On the on the podcast is my good friend Jack Ballard, who was the doorman at an infamous Baltimore bar, rock bar. Uh, I I don't want to call it a club because club denotes like big uh, places and touring huge bands and uh, clubs. You know, you have a club thing. This is literally At best, a bar. (laughs) It is Hal Daddy's. Uh, If you're from Baltimore, at some point, if you've gone and if you have any friends in the local music scene throughout the 90s and early 2000s, they know you have heard of Hal Daddy's, Hal Dirties, Hal Diddy's. uh, the, The infamous dirt bar of Highland Town in Baltimore City where every, just about every punk and metal band had played at some point. If you're a fan of music you probably went to a show at Daddy's, um, or at least heard of the place and, uh, well, we talk about it. And the reason why this is a very long overdue conversation is uh, Jack and I have been friends for, God, almost probably more than 20 years now because I started going there as a teenager in the late 90s. He started going there as a teenager in the mid 90s. And let's see here. I had an internet radio show in the early 2000s um, when I was in college. E-Radio, WMCR, shout out. And I did a local music show called One Step Behind. Um, And, of course, it was a playoff One Step Beyond by uh, Madness because I will forever bleed to tell. I am a rude boy, true and through. So I had this local music show, and Jack and I were talking for the longest time about having him come on and just tell stories of Hal Daddies and stories of being a bouncer and a doorman. And we never could coordinate schedules. But also, at the time, he didn't really want to tell these stories because the people these stories about or he was still friends with. They were still around. They were <laughs> still active. Um, and, you know, some of these relationships now have fallen off. Some of these people have unfortunately passed away or we've gotten removed enough from that to where we could tell these stories without fear of uh, hurting people's feelings. And again, we don't want to tell these stories to hurt people's feelings. Um, also, I guess some of these stories are have can now be told because uh, there is no more... Because the statute of limitations on some of these stories have
1: finally... <laughs>
0: <laughs> ended. Uh, no, it was a good story to talk. It was good to both catch up with Jack because I mean, I haven't seen each other. We just, you know, that happens in life. You meet people or you become friends with people and then social media takes over and you only know them through social media. So that's how Jack and I have been communicating because, you know, we have a lot of same interests. We still have a lot of same friends. We still do a lot of the same things, just not at the same time or with each other. So it was nice to get caught up with him, especially during the pandemic. Um, and it was it was good to hear stories that brought back a lot of memories of really great things um from from my youth i mean and so if you don't under don't know what how Daddy's is, Jack will tell you all about it, but it's basically uh, imagine a dive bar that caters to nobody but punk and metalheads. yeah, uh and it was ran by hal, who was you know you'll hear hal's still alive, don't worry, we're not like uh you eulogizing a man uh but this, this conversation did really oh man, somebody needs to make a good real popu- a documentary that will become popular about the, the, the 90s, early 2000 punk metal scene in, in, in Baltimore, or at least up and down the East Coast too. Like there was a great scene going around there and just we need somebody to tell the stories of How Daddies, of Rass Monkey, of Wyatt's, uh, of Angel's Rock Bar, of all these places of hyperlights in Aberdeen. Uh the, you know, there was the the loft in Essex. There were so many places in the mid to late the mid nineties to early two thousands to play shows and then they all just went away. Uh and I don't know. It's it's I don't even know if kids are pursuing to do shows. I gotta imagine they are. I mean Oh, Cafe hey, Tattoo's gotta be also on that list of, of shows. Like I met so many fun people just going to like church shows. And like daytime Sunday, all ages punk shows. You know, there was a, a bond formed amongst people. And I'm sure it happened in other scenes and other towns and stuff too. I would just love, I don't know. I guess it's got to be me. I got to go from being a stand up comedian to podcaster to documentary <laughs> filmmaker. Uh, if, it, if this is going to get done, I guess it's going to be me who's going to be the one that gets it done. We'll see. I don't know. I can't imagine anyone's going to fund, you know put money into that but maybe i can find financing from somebody to do it and instead of finding a real job i can be a documentary filmmaker and that will be what i spend the next wherever on my life on but it's a great conversation and now jack is a you know stand-up comedian and a podcaster himself so we talk a lot about transitioning from being a musician into these other relative fields uh, that happens not a lot but enough to be significant to notice how and when it's happening. So, by the way, uh, if you've been following me on social media, uh, my, my adorable, lovely dog's sister, my dog, who is named a sister, um, she has been going through heartworm treatment, and it's been a very long uh, month dealing with that, because the medication has side effect of decreased appetite, and uh, when we say decreased appetite, when we say decreased appetite, we mean it. It's, she was not eating for three weeks straight. Like I literally had to force feed her food just so she would eat something. She was sick all the time and throwing up and then but medication's over with and within you know two days of stopping the medication, she is back to normal. She's eating, she's happy. She was just in here um, you know, begging for for head pats and ear scratches, which I gave her, which delayed me from starting the recording of this because I need both my hands to talk and I can't talk at the same time if one of my hands uh, is petting the world's best podcast dog. Like normally, she just sits outside the podcast studio here and lays down and waits for me to finish. Occasionally, she'll poke her head in. Um, actually, uh, I'll see. So Jack and I did record this podcast uh, via Squadcast. Shout out to them. Um, but I don't know. I don't. I recorded the whole video. I have the whole video. I might just release the video. I don't know. Tell me in the, the comments or send me a message on social media. If you want to start seeing some of these podcasts, uh, I mean, it's just, you know, one camera each end. There's no more, you know, it's two cameras. My camera, his camera, um, uh, sister pops in a couple of times. She makes a cameo appearance during some of the conversation with Jack. So if you want to see my dog slowly walking into a room, like, Hey, are you still working? Okay. And then walk slowly walk away. Uh, let me know. And I'll release that video. I will do like promo video stuff because um, I have that access and also nothing else to do. So I might as well spend time remembering how to video edit, even though, uh, there's not uh, a lot to it. Vid- it's not like I'm processing special effects. I'm just, here is one camera. Here's another camera cutting back and forth. So I don't know if I need that much of a refresher on it. Cause I've been doing a lot more, uh, through the pandemic, uh, Which, by the way, uh, speaking of pandemic stuff, COVID stuff, I have a whole listing of all the things I've worked on during COVID, or at least try to keep a list of all the things that I've worked on during COVID. So if you want to check out some of the things that I've been working on, other podcast episodes, video sketches, other people's podcasts that I have been on, you can check all that out at deadordentist.com slash COVID-19. There'll be a link to that in the description if you want to check out all the things that I've been working on the past year because uh, I have to do something can't sit around and just stare at the wall. Uh, I definitely almost thought about making or oh, I've reached the end of Netflix joke. Meanwhile, last night, I just complained about how many comedians I've heard make I've reached the end of Netflix. I've reached the end of Pornhub. I've reached the end of the internet jokes over the past year with the, the pandemic, uh, which by the way, wasn't that original of a joke before the pandemic, but the amount of people who are coming out of the pandemic with that joke, like, hey, I've reached the end of this thing that we've all been doing. Aren't I so funny and original? Ugh. Look, there's people coming out of the pandemic who are seasoned and great and wonderful, and there are people that are coming out hackier than they went into the thing. And I have to suffer through watching it sometimes. Because that, uh, it's suffering for me. I could just ignore it like other people do, or like how other people (laughs) ignore me, but I digress. So that's the world we're living in. Glad comedy's coming back. Glad we're going out to do these things. I got nothing on the books, uh, but a couple of festivals, which are going to be fun. I can't wait uh, to do them. There, It's going to be a lot of good good times coming up in the next year, I hope, for me at least. But without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with bouncer, doorman, musician, comedian, podcaster, and my friend Jack Ballard of How Daddies. I'm running three audio backups, but zero video backups, which is fine. If I lose video, not the world's biggest problem. But I also don't want to to lose it. Again, it's not like I'm going to release the whole video. I just want little, like, one-minute clips of you saying something funny and then, like, on social media going, that's it to the full. You see, you know how the internet I know how it goes. Yeah,
2: that's no problem. (laughs) I'm into it.
0: So, which on that note, uh, now that I've just opened up about all my current anxieties that I'm sure. dealing with right at the exact moment, how are you doing with the anxieties of COVID or anything that's ah. going on right now?
2: Dude, it's been a rough. It's been a rough year and a half. I got to tell you, um, I've been through. I've changed jobs. I've changed girlfriends. I've changed just about everything in the past like 15 months. You know what I mean? And it's just, uh, it's just crazy. And it's my entire social life dried up and died for like five months and now stuff's starting to come back but it's been hectic it's been crazy it really is
0: weird part maryland has been more lax than it has been here in boston uh like yeah. boston really clamped well boston made the appearance they clamped out i live in a neighborhood called allston which is right down the street from from boston university from bu yeah so i'm just surrounded by college kids and it's been nonstop stop partying yeah. since COVID. like it's yeah. been literally I, I literally at two in the afternoon on a Monday passed by a 40 person house party where a guy was. T- I'm hoping it was his girlfriend walking a woman away in the street at two in the afternoon who is puking into the street on a nice. Monday afternoon. I'm like, how did I not have coronavirus like this? <laughs> this is where coronavirus will become airborne. like This yeah, is ground absolutely. zero for it.
2: No, I agree. I live right by Micah, the art college. So it's been, uh, they're a little different though. It's all just goth girls and masks now. Yeah. So before, (laughs) That's that's the only thing that's changed.
0: And luckily enough, goth girls pretty much had all those masks before the pandemic anyway.
2: So if anyone was prepared for the pandemic, it was the goth community. They they have been in full bondage and protective gear for for 30 years now. And nobody was more prepared. They had ball gags. Everything was ready.
0: With the amount of glass protectors that are now going up in like every establishment, who would have thought the places that was most prepared for COVID was banks, taxicabs, and liquor stores in bad neighborhoods? Like,
2: right, yeah. <laughs> yes, and porno peep booths. Also. <laughs> very, like,
0: <laughs> Honestly, if the pandemic brings anything back, it's going to bring back phone booths so we can just sit in a glass box away from everybody.
2: Think of it. That, now that would be like a luxury item. You would pay $10 to make a phone call in an enclosed glass booth where they, they played relaxing music, maybe made you a, a coffee drink, like that would be that would that's like the high end because everybody's on their phone now. You, you know everybody's just on their phone everywhere in public. Now if you had like a little glass room, nice and quiet, that'd be great. Oh, sa-
0: it sounds delightful. In fact, the uh, there's there's a bar. I guess they closed. They're not going to reopen after COVID. But there was a bar here that had a uh, a old phone booth as oh, a as, yeah? uh, you know as a little attraction inside their bar. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and uh, that was, you know, I imagine had they been open during COVID, everyone like, can we have that seat? Yeah, to exactly. Eat in? Can we eat I want to in sit that room? And
2: close the doors. And yes, exactly. I'll eat in the closet. <laughs> that's fine.
0: Well, so yeah. Uh, well, at least you're working. That's good. Well, oh, yeah. uh, uh, here's brand new news because I heard it this morning because I still listen to 98 Rock Morning Show because I'm, you know, friends with yeah. with Justin from back in the day and you know semi friends with Scott. Um, I just heard this morning. Uh, Maryland is at sixty nine percent. Nice uh, vaccination rate for adults throughout wow. the, the whole state, which is a humongous number. Yeah, which is that's great.
2: Really good. That's much more yeah. higher than I thought it would be.
0: Yeah, and it's it's, it's it, like it's no wonder that Mar- like because I heard what yeah you know, CDC went and uh they're like hey if you're vaccinated you don't have to wear a mask anymore. Right. And then Hogan goes on the news like, all right, rules and tomorrow ain't to be as cold. <laughs> Go O's. Wait. Peace out! Like that was yeah. his press conference, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I was like, May twelfth is when they they dropped the restrictions. I'm like, that's so early. Like, yeah. that's
2: so. And luckily, it hasn't rebounded or anything yet. So, you know, yeah, what no, I mean? they it's, made the
0: right call clearly. So, but uh, it's, well, since you know Maryland is on its way to uh, you know going back to normal, um, and we are in the summertime, so your favorite—can we call it your favorite event? Is that going to happen this year of ArtScape?
2: ArtScape is canceled this year. Oh, still? Um, uh, unfortunately, it was right on the cusp. They didn't know. They didn't know. And I think they called it too early because they called it. And then literally three days later, they're like, hey, we're going to lift the restrictions. And it was like, oh, shit. But <laughs> that that uh, ArtScape, yes, the bane of my existence. Um, <laughs> yeah, the-
0: I don't know. It, like your, your commentary, you're running commentary every year on ArtScape are you are you this is gonna be two years in a row that you're gonna be without it are you disappointed are you happy i am
2: because i do love it i'm not gonna lie i i have some it's one of those it's a very abusive relationship and um (laughs) i know one day they'll change and love me but uh it's just not today um and they just it's it's uh it's a pain in the ass because there's a lot of people who are very disrespectful to the neighborhood the people come in to party in the neighborhood and they, they're not very respectful and they leave their trash and they, they they treat the neighborhood poorly and they kinda use it like a like like Memorial Stadium for a day, you know, the a trash on the ground and they shit everywhere and it's unbelievable. And I caught one year people shitting in my alley, literally shitting, pulling their pants down and pooping in the alley. (laughs) So it's like, it's really hard for me to get excited about Artscape when I know I'm going to be cleaning human feces out of my alley the next day. But But um, it's not person.
0: It's people. It's not person. It's it's people. Yes. And and that's That's the worst part. If it was
2: one person. You know, there's a lot of really questionable shit that goes on. People are selling like stupid stuff and there's a lot of, I don't know. It's, but it is cool. It's definitely Baltimore. Any place where you have a 30% chance of getting stabbed, I would say is an authentic Baltimore experience. And uh, and I, I think that, uh, and, and it's good, you know what I mean? It's good to get out and, and see the art. And these kids, a lot of them are super talented. I make jokes about it. These kids are super talented. They display their artwork. They're trying to sell it. They're trying to move and be an artist. And we all know how that's gonna go. Um, so when they're a barista two years <laughs> from now, just be nice to them, just give your order nice and slow and say, hey, I saw that sculpture you did in the Artscape." <laughs> you know like that's uh, that's that's pretty much how you treat it
0: and but just uh, to to for the people listening who are not uh from from the uh, from Baltimore tell exactly what artscape is
2: sure artscape the the oldest one of the oldest um art colleges in the country is in Baltimore it's called mica maryland institute of something art creative arts mm-hmm. and uh and it's literally like 1850s they set it up the original buildings here and they've they've grown they own half of of uh, of what's called the uh the North Avenue Corridor now. They have tons of buildings and programs and stuff. It's a really big college. And they have Artscape, which is the largest art festival in the East Coast. And for three fun-filled days, my historic, beautiful, quiet neighborhood turns into a fairground for the ultra hippie, the <laughs> the artist, the musician, the philosopher. And I love all these people and I am one of those people. But I just wish these people would clean up after themselves. That's all I'm. A, that's all I'm asking. Just not poop in in unpoop designated <laughs> places and pick up your shit. That's all. I'm very reasonable. I'm not asking a lot, but it is it is a really fun place and it, it's a really good time and it's huge and they have great bands to play. Um and and it, it's a, it is a wonderful thing to see in Baltimore and I, I would encourage anybody from out of town to come to it because it is really cool and is I make jokes but it is very safe. Yeah and.
0: Yeah, it's as safe as it is anywhere else in Baltimore, which right, is right. was we as we know, not safe. But it's yeah, as safe as it is it's safe.
2: Else. <laughs> But for Baltimore's safe, which you know.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing that I miss moving here to Boston that was in Baltimore is throughout the spring, summer and early fall, there is a street festival almost every weekend sure, yeah. throughout the summer and stuff. And so And also out like every week, there's an outdoor movie. There is not a lot of free community events here in Boston. Nothing I can find. Like when I first moved here, I found it impossible to find outdoor movies since then. Some have popped up here and there. But it's like Baltimore has has always done such a great job of having artists throughout the community. Like it's not known for that. But it does a good job of supporting artists and doing creative uh, arts throughout the whole city. Like, granted, in the early days with you know uh, hammerjacks and stuff like that, we didn't get a lot of touring bands here, but we had a lot of original music that, that originated here. Yeah. And of course, with Cat's Eyes Pub and uh, you know you saw the the Baltimore Blues Festival every every summer, you still get a lot of homegrown um, talented musicians playing at events and a lot of bands that do come through there. Like you, you're not going to get, you know, Aerosmith come to the Bummer arena because it's not big enough, but you're going to get a lot of really hard, dedicated touring artists, musicians that are, you know, can't fill a stadium, can't fill a theater, but they'll I come to the to bars and clubs and with you, but I great. saw
2: Aerosmith at the Baltimore arena when I was uh, like 15. Okay. <laughs> <all right. laughs> and four non-blondes opened up and they played that song that they, the, the, the song I named for, but I totally agree with you. We, um, there is a thing um, you can Google it. Uh, L- uh, Live Nation concerts specifically tries to exclude Baltimore from their venues. They don't, they don't have any venues in this town, and and they for some reason they want us all to go to Nation in D.C. and and all that stuff in D.C. And there really is, you're right. National acts don't play Baltimore very often, um, if at all. And if they do, they play this uh, one of the stadiums, and that the sound sucks, and it's like you know, Metallica played here. They played the stadium. Billy Joel played here. He played the stadium, you know, and it's that kind of, and it's not intimate and it's not, you know, but you're right. Where we make up for in that is we have some of the most talented people in the world here. And there's so much, you know, Frank Zappa's from this town and you have uh, uh, John Waters. There's so, there mm-hmm. is a huge art and music, you know, just vibrancy here that that is unparalleled, except maybe Nashville is the only other town I've ever been to where that had such a, Art and music scene that's just going on perpetually. And you're right. Baltimore has, you have Fells Point Festival, the Canton Festival, the Hun Festival, the Highland Town Festival. There's a there's hundred festivals all during the summer, and that bands are playing, and there's art and music. And yeah, we have a hundred artscapes going on in Baltimore all summer long. And there is no. I love it here. And I love it here for that reason. And this, we got some good comedians. We got good, you know, there's everything, everything you could want. And I think Baltimore is good in that if the location, we're what, three and a half hours from New York. We're an hour and a half from Philly. We're, you know, 45 minutes from DC. So if you live in Baltimore, you can play these venues and still hold a job. You know what I mean? And like yeah. come home every night. So I think that has, I think, you know, we kind of, we're kind of like the bedroom community to talent. You know, we're kind of like the bedroom community to the New York, New York and uh, Philadelphia scenes. I love it. Yeah, and it's also, even if you're
0: just a, a lover and appreciator of it, again, Philly's an hour and a half away. DC's yeah. 45 minutes. There's so many good shows that you get. Uh, Manassas with the uh, yeah. Nissan Pavilion. Uh, the, the amount of concerts that used to come to Nissan Pavilion. Hour and a half, two hour drive. Right. You know. And uh, growing up, when I got out of high school, so many of my friends were like, "Oh, that band's playing at at Nations in D.C. That's like a forty five minutes drive. That's too far." I'm like, "Fuck you!" Yeah, yeah. Like, I will. Sorry, I, sorry if I'm gonna drive forty five minutes to see Rancid. That's what I'm gonna do. Yeah. But then we also had like in Baltimore a lot of like the uh I forget the name of the metal festival that used to come to Sonar every year. Like the it's still The, the yeah.
2: Maryland Death Fest. It's the biggest death yeah. metal festival in the country. Yeah, yeah. and it's and, and it all. Oh, Oticon,
0: which is beautiful people watching yeah. and cosplay watching. So yeah, there's so much that goes on there. I in, used to play
2: Balticon every year. I used to do my podcasts. I were involved with. Uh, we used to do live streams from Balticon, which is a big Baltimore science fiction and writing uh, thing downtown. And it happens this weekend, actually, Memorial Day. That's canceled this year, too. But I've been doing stand-up and, and trivia nights there during that and, and podcasting for that. And Balticon brings in the nerdiest of the nerdy, it's a one square foot of Baltimore It is. it is unbelievable. It really is. Yeah, there's
0: so much that, that good, good that goes on. there, And I hated to leave, but I knew when it came to stand up comedy, if I stayed there, the best I could hope for was being the best comedian in Baltimore. Um, <laughs> and that in a dollar fifty. Will you, get don't wanna, out, get you don't want to you want
2: showcase on a Wednesday night at McGoovy's. Come on, man. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I'll tell you
0: this. I will tell you this. I listen to, you know, I still, a lot of my friends, and you know, I come back every year except for this past year and I still listen to a lot of my friends and I'm watching the people I started up with just become friends with headliners and they're getting so much feature work, both at the improv in DC and at the and stuff. And meanwhile, I'm still like fighting it out here in Boston. Cause there's, you know, three times the amount of comedians here. And yeah, they're all really good. There's so many good. There's so, like, when I moved here in the first week, I was like, Oh fuck, I got to step up my game. Immensely, and I bombed for ten months straight because I was wow. going up against some heavy, hard hitters. I ate plates of dick for ten months straight before I started wow. getting laughs again. And it's like, and but when I came back to do my first showcase, guys were running up to me and they're like, "Dude, you got really good." And again, <laughs> I'm not. That's not tuning my own horn. The no, people no. said that? And it's because I was. I had to. I had to compete in a better in a better market. You know. Right. And I wouldn't have traded for a world because I don't know if I would have, if I'd stayed in Baltimore in that ten month period. I don't think I would have excelled um, the way I did because I'm definitely a lot cleaner now, which I which I like. Um, you know, I, I I made a conscious decision to to work cleaner mm-hmm. um, and move away from you know like the the raunchy filthy set that I, five minutes that I brought up here with me. I hated every month. Like I had a joke about (laughs) farting on a woman and it being romantic. Like that was, (laughs) it was terrible, but people laughed at it. And every time someone laughed at it, I died inside. So I'm glad I had to, you know, change my act. And, and, you know, I, of course I'm 30 some years old. I grew as a person. I'm 40 now. And I don't want to go up there there and and talk about an artist
2: alive that doesn't look back at their first couple of forays and cringe there. You know, I was in bands in high school and I can't even, you the names of them because they're so <laughs> retarded and i just can't you know what i mean like it's like everybody looks back and goes you know and there's <laughs> definitely jokes in my repertoire that have definitely aged poorly and had to go and when i was doing balticon they told me i had to be clean and i was like oh my god what am i gonna do all of my jokes have i just say the f-bomb just naturally so I had to make jokes about Ewoks and stuff like that. So that, you know what I mean? Which is like, what are you going to do, man? Like, So yeah, I, I get that. And you're right. You know, there isn't when I do the uh, open mic, there's not a whole lot of competition with like the guy nodding off on heroin and the guy who's drunk <laughs> and his wife kicked him out of the house and he's just mad and wants to yell. And then, you know what I mean? Like, there, th- that's my competition here. No real comics to speak of. Maybe just a couple of weirdos <laughs> that wandered into an open mic and, you know, me. But, yeah, that's that's awesome. You're, you're <laughs> right. you got a lot of competition because Boston's at least five times the size of this town. So there's got to be at least five oh times. no, Boston
0: like well, the Boston proper square foot uh, square mileage is smaller than Baltimore. It's a small really? town ta- like well, this is the thing. Boston seems bigger because everyone within eight hours of the surrounding area says they're from Boston.
2: Oh, gotcha.
0: Whereas right. they don't do things the way we do, like you know how you have Baltimore City, you have Baltimore County, and then you have the state. Those yeah. it's those three levels. Here it's Boston, uh, and then every neighborhood and city that surrounds it has yeah. their own mayor and their own municipalities and other all their own things. And then they have the county, which nobody pays attention to. And then they have the state. like Boston is located within Suffolk County, uh-huh. and then within Suffolk County, there's 53 cities or something like that. Jeez. It's and each of them has their own uh, their own government. It's so dumb the way they do things here. At least I feel like it's dumb. Maybe it works somehow. I don't understand. But like, like it just, it, this is how it screws things up on this simplest level. Trash pickup. Yeah. Where, where I'm at is fine. In my, my buddy lives in a, in, in a town called Belmont, which is, you know, 30, 40 minutes South of, of, of Boston. And in his town, he has to, every time he goes to the grocery store, he has to buy stickers from the cashier to put on his trash bags what? So that the trash will come pick up his 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 stuff. The- if he doesn't put this sticker on each of his trash bags. The trash man won't pick it up because that's how that city pays for their trash pickup is by you buying these stickers.
2: Get out of here. That's genius and stupid at the same time. I can't figure out which one. That's, yeah. I don't, wow. And
0: but but it's in that city and you don't know that unless really? you live there. Um, the other thing is they you have to they'll give you trash cans. For free. You have to request yep. them. They'll bring them to you. But if your trash is not in that specific trash can, they won't pick it up. Wow. Here, here in Boston. If my if I go to Home Depot, uh, and now you can hear my Baltimore accent coming out. Because I, I heard I it. Th- I heard <laughs> it
2: when you said Baltimore. I was like, yeah, you haven't lost that one. <laughs>
0: I, I worked really hard to lose it. It just comes back when I'm surrounded. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what happened <laughs> at the Home Depot there? Yeah. No, I <laughs> went up to the Home Depot on Blair Road there, Juan. <laughs> uh, I, I got me a new uh zinc to wash my clothes with water. Hey. Uh, but if I go to Home Depot, buy a trash barrel, trash can, put yeah. it in my yard, put my trash in it, and stick it out front, they will not pick it up.
2: I love it.
0: Right? The, it, it, your your recycling can't be in bags. Your recycling has to be in the recycling bin, like the big blue trash yeah. barrel. If you put your stuff in bags, they won't take it. Whereas when we started the recycling program in Baltimore, they're like, hey, you know those blue uh, plastic bags that you get from the grocery store? Just use those to, for recycling. We'll pick those up. It's yeah. like... It all made sense.
2: Anyway. Um Baltimore, they the trash is so aggressive. They pick up the trash like every day. Like you would think that the trash comes three times a week. <laughs> they pick up every – I put my recycling out and it's gone. I don't know who takes it. But <laughs> what, what's funny is Baltimore like five years ago, they were like, we're giving everybody this nice rat-proof trash can. It's green. It has a Baltimore logo on it. It's very nice. The approximate value is about $20, but hey, don't worry about that. We're This is for you, Baltimore. We're going to give everyone one. Hands go up. Um, these are nice trash cans they are going to get stolen. And this was their quote. No, no, no. Everyone's going to get one. So why would anyone steal your trash can when everybody in the city is going to get one? My trash can lasted three days before it was stolen. It was great. It was gone. and I, I, Three days I had it. Three days. And, 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 <laughs> and I just went back to throwing it in my old trash can. And nothing ever said. And then Baltimore was like, hey, if somebody steals your trash can, let us know, and we'll send you another one. So I did, and they never sent me one. But that's it. That's how Baltimore does trash collection. Just put it out on the curb. We'll take it. We don't have any bins. We don't have any rules. It might be on Tuesday. It might be Thursday afternoon. <laughs> we might not get to it till Sunday. It doesn't matter. Just leave it out there. We'll get to it. That's their <laughs> motto. So I'm all for it.
0: Well, it's also, they had a big, huge issue because of COVID in the city, if I remember. And yeah. I, I, uh, I, I wasn't following, but I was hearing from people because I guess it was workers were getting Covid too much, and they didn't have enough people to do the job. You tell me if you know what what happened. No,
2: yeah, our trash pickup stopped for about three weeks because the entire um, Baltimore Department of Public Works had the COVID so bad that they had to shut all the offices down. So it wasn't just trash pickup; it was literally like the park crew and the sewer cleaners, like everybody. The ticket, uh, the even the ticket people weren't out. Entirely, pretty much the city shut down for like three days because of COVID. I would say that was probably. March of last of 2020, March or April of 2020, early on, early on. They were one of the first wow. people that, you know, and so it was really scary because we were all kind of in shock and wondering what was going to happen, how this was all going to play out. And then they're like, oh, all your, all the city services have COVID. So we're shutting everything down. We're like, oh, shit. So, wow. yeah, we had trash piling up and all we were doing was sitting in the house eating all day because it was COVID. So, Christ, we had such a trash bubble. <laughs>
0: it's a good thing the toilets didn't overflow throughout yeah, really city. <laughs> Like there's definitely that like uh you know uh halftime at the World cup at, throughout all of Europe has a huge uh bathroom problem because during the halftime everyone's using the bathroom and sucks up all the water I've
2: heard that I've heard that story <laughs> that the hotels and stuff warn people that yeah they, uh, they lose water <laughs> pressure around 3 pm when the that's hilarious.
0: All right. uh, So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about how we met because we became friends in in, in a way that probably most people don't become friends with with each other because we just, I just kept hanging out at the bar that you worked at. That's basically (laughs) how we became friends. And like, I am friends with a lot of bartenders. But when I stopped going to those bars, I pretty much stopped talking to those people. That's kind of how some things work. But you and I have continued to be friends, mostly, obviously, because of the internet. And sure. also, we kept crossing paths because we're we are, yeah, we we both lived in Baltimore City. We both went to the same places. We knew so many of the same people. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you, yeah, we met at at a very legendary bar in the local Baltimore music scene called How Daddy's.
2: How Daddies. Uh,
0: and the reason I started going there is because I had friends who were bands. Yeah. And it was the only bar that would book teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, at, at, and their friends are all obviously myself and teenagers. So we would go there. It's basically my friends started playing at two places, uh, the church on Dundalk Avenue and Hal
2: Daddy's. That's the
0: only places we could play. And of course, you were, how did you, when did you start working there as a doorman?
2: Uh, I first went to Hal Daddy's on Valentine's Day in 1995. And I went for the same reason that you went. My friend's band was playing in the basement. Back then, the basement didn't have a stage. It was a level basement. And it didn't even have proper lighting. I believe there was like two screw-in light bulbs in the ceiling, and so there was the lights were either at autopsy strength or you're in dead pitch darkness, and there was no no in between. There was no there was no subtle lighting. It was either like we're gonna cut you open and have surgery, or you're dead, and that, those were the lighting options. And bands played, and you stood, and if you were under five five, you did not see the band. Um, at all, there was just a crowd of people in the basement, and I saw a band called Compression there uh, in uh, 1995. I went there on Valentine's Day, and that was the first time. And the old guy who used to work at the door, he's a friend of mine. His name is Mike. Um, he had a little bit of a problem with the with the with the drink and the and the sauce. And uh, one night he was working, and when nobody was looking, he grabbed the cash register from behind the bar and took off running down Lombard Street. And somebody, <laughs> just, he, not the drawer, not the money, of the cash register, the entire the whole cash thing. register. Right. We don't have time for this shit. We're taking the entire cash register <laughs> and ran down the street. And so somebody went and tackled him because he's at the time he was emaciated and on drugs. So it wasn't hard. He, you know, junkies aren't fast. And so somebody tackled him and got the the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the cash register away. And that was his last day. He got fired. So he also, he also, he was quite a character. He is quite a character. He's a really good guy. I don't want to, he's cleaned up his act and he's a really good guy. Um, but uh, he, he also used to hit people with chairs, wrestling style in the basement. <laughs> and and this, was, this, was, this was frowned upon by the establishment. And, uh, and so it, it, that had to go. So one night I, I was, I frequented Hal's. Um, there were bands. I was playing in bands at the time. Um, my friends were all playing in bands and you're right. The only fucking place to play was how Daddy's how Daddy's or the brass monkey in Fells point. Yes. Um, and, uh, well, I should not be that other-
0: excited about the brass monkey because that guy tried to get me thrown out of college.
2: Oh yeah. Because that guy's I was nuts. Yeah. I mooned him and I'm banned for life there. <laughs> well, it's gone. Well, they're gone, but
0: yeah. Thank God.
2: I put my ass cheeks on their window and that guy uh, said, the fat guy can't come back here anymore. And he meant me. And he used to have the list in the back of people who weren't allowed to be served. And if they thought you were on that list, they'd be like, what's your name? And the bartender would go back and look at the list and be like, no, we don't serve you. You have to leave. It was fucking ridiculous. Anyway. Um, but So how that, so one night uh, shortly after Mike ran off with the, with the cash, um, I was hanging out at house and we were laughing about that story. And Hal said, do you want to work the door? And I was like, yeah, i worked the door for a little while. Um, you know, I could use an extra job. And seven years later, um, I, I had been there. You know what I mean? Like, I, I worked the door pretty much seven years. The really good seven years of house. Um, <laughs> those were the really fun times. Um, after I stopped working there, um, there was only maybe about three or four weeks. Um, house lo- lost the ability to have live music. And uh, that really stopped people coming in. And so pretty much once that happened, they didn't need a doorman. So I had lost my job with Hal's, but I hung out there for a little while. But pretty much about three weeks after that, it was done. We Hal closed the door and sold it, and that was that. And now yeah, it's an attorney's office.
0: I, oh, is it now? Because yeah. it was also like a wasn't it like an AA an AA meeting place too for a while? Yeah, it
2: was. It's it was been a couple of things. Uh, it was going to be a laundromat, but like something happened and that never happened. And I couldn't imagine like going into Hal Daddies and doing laundry. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and then I heard There's I so heard majority. it. it and, and for those who don't know, Hal Daddies was a um, a Baltimore row home. Uh, no more and no less. It was not a commercial space at all. It was a it was a Baltimore row home that had just been turned into a bar. So when you first walk in, the bar is on your left. And as you go back, the bathrooms are on the right. And that was it. It was a very small space. And the ba- music was in the basement. And then Hal rented the upstairs to unfortunate people that lived upstairs. Um, and that's pretty much... Uh, and, and so to, if you want a mental image of this place, it is small. It is probably... I don't know what do you think maybe 10 feet wide and 30 feet across or it's tiny it's a but it was full of people and it was it was a wild place but that's how i started working there i uh hal said hey and i that's what i did
0: i was there the 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 day the last day because we it it was weird like just at that time they started opening up during the weekdays and like doing like a beer pong tournament on the on the table on like monday night or something and being the good uh, patrons that we were. We were like, we're coming on Mondays to support How Daddies because, yeah. you know, every you know, everything was changing. It was the early 2000s. A lot of music things weren't, weren't you know, music venues were closing and nobody wanted to go see music, so we are going to house, and just the fire marshal and the liquor board was just walking up Lombard Street going into every establishment, which, and when I say establishments, strip clubs, and the bars that my uh and the places that my uncle like my uh, like my uncle owned that uh Tiffany's across across the street. Oh wow, really? Yeah, my well, my mother's uncle, so my great uncle. He owned Tiffany's East and pretty much almost a, a Enrique's down around the corner mm-hmm. and the Normandy room and all those spots. He owned almost that entire like four block radius. Um wow. he, he's basically the old school Highland Town mob yeah, that's what
2: I I always heard, that the mob owned all those buildings, and those were stopping cops. People just went in there. Remember Pop B's that was across? Yep. the, Yeah, that place was just like an open-air drug mall. You just walked in there and mm-hmm. bought drugs right from the bar and walked out. Nobody was ever in there. And uh, the, across the street from House was the El Dorado Lounge. Did you ever go into there?
0: I think I went in there like once.
2: Yeah, that's about everybody's experience. <laughs> it's not a two-time and it is, it is uh, the girls who can't get jobs stripping anywhere else can strip at the El Dorado Lounge. It is the open mic strip club. It is, and it is exactly what you would expect. Um, <laughs> one night, one of my favorite Hal's memories is I was standing outside Lombard Street and two strippers were arguing over the payphone. This was obvious before cell phones. They are arguing over who was going to use the payphone. And the one stripper grabbed the other one by her hair and just started beating her in the face with the receiver of the phone. Repeat it just like... Oh, just feeding the shit out of this woman with the receiver of the phone. And then she walked away, and she continued her conversation like like nothing. Like, first of all, wouldn't you wipe the receiver off? I'm sure you had at least saliva or lip gloss or some hair product on there from smacking this bitch in the face 16 times with the receiver. But honestly, like, it was, it was hilarious. Just nonchalant, just grabbing this woman, beating her, and then going right back to talking to her baby's daddy. It was great. Um, and the Eldorado Lounge was, was classy, man. It was classy. Sometimes those girls would come over to house to use the cigarette machine because we were like $5 cheaper than the bar cigarettes at the strip club. Yep. And so they would come over here and you'd see them in like normal lighting. Whoa. You know, if you wanted to give them money to put their clothes back on, they were, it was bad. But yeah, anyway, Eldorado Lounge. That's, all this is gone. I feel comfortable talking about it because all of these places have been out of business now for 10 years at least. And I don't know anybody, you know what I mean. So I I don't mind saying. and and it, it added to the charm and mystique and and danger of Hal Daddies. if you know what I mean. Like it just added to the ambiance, <laughs> you know what I mean.
0: <laughs> well, especially really for a lot of us, like kids, like I grew up in Dundalk, which is technically the county, but it's a very urbanized yeah. county location. So moving from there in, you know, and going into the city, which is just a you know seven minute drive, you're on the other side into the city yeah. city limits is a, even for me who grew up in Dundalk, which is a very rough and tumble neighborhood, it was a huge shock for a lot of me. And then, you know, just go, go watch those Towson kids come down and, and have to experience that. Like, or, or par- kids from park, like imagine oh, yeah. all time low Parkville's pop punk band that made it national after naming themselves after a newfound glory song. Imagine <laughs> them as teenagers walking into holidays, to, going through the basement, uh, through the backyard basement, alley basement, to get into the to the club, and then having them watch two strippers beat each other with phones, and then see what my favorite term of all time is—if is you see a hair weave going through the street at the end oh, at two yeah. in the morning, it's a tumble weave. Yeah. it's the best thing to ever see. Just blowing through the streets.
2: Tumble weaves I've found over the years—they're very, they're intriguing. I always wonder how, you know, as a man with no hair. I think I would notice if suddenly, do you know what I mean? Whatever I was wearing on my head was gone. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it took me a while to get bald. I think I'd notice if I was suddenly bald. I don't know. It's just really, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting phenomenon. Uh, we did have a lot of culture shock at Hal Daddy's. Um, there was a lot of people from the county. Uh, we, one of the things, and you touched on this briefly, was anybody could play there. And that was kind of the the, the charm. Um, So we would get a lot of weird folks from the county that have never played in public before or have played for people. um, And they would get up in front of stage and like have stage fright and freak out. We had people uh, getting huge. We had bands break up on stage, getting yelling matches and screaming (laughs) at each other and everybody walked off. Uh, We had a band from North Carolina that was on tour and the drummer. It's always the drummer. Went to the bathroom and he dropped the keys in the toilet and he was like, well, I'll. here's what I'll do is I peed and the toilet is full of my pee and the keys are at the bottom. So I will flush the toilet, thereby eliminating the pee water and then reach down and grab my keys. The keys went right down the toilet. So this guy from North Carolina with, with, with $10,000 worth of band equipment just flushed his keys down the toilet at, you know, 158 oh, in the morning. So, you know, just fun stuff like that, you know, just like culture shock stuff I had. There was a we'd have a lot of teenage bands, a lot of high school bands play and their parents would come out and their parents would like we would be nicer <laughs> and like tone it down a little for everybody. And um, and but they were still like, this is disgusting. And I can't believe my child is coming here and I'm like, have a nice night. Ah, uh, but that's you know what I mean. Like we, there was definitely some culture shock. One day we found um, we came into work and there was an illegal chop shop a block uh, a, or two doors down from Hal's. Nobody spoke English. Everybody there was foreign, and these cars would mysteriously show up and then mysteriously disappear. Well, they got raided and they parked a bunch of cars in Hal Daddy's backyard during the raid or something, and nobody and they just left them there. So for weeks we would go out and <laughs> smash the windows, flip them over go and rip the upholstery up just like we, we were just trashing these cars like we didn't know and hal was like don't fuck with the cars <laughs> you know and we would just you know we fucked with the cars hal was a very good character too hal had a very like um hal daddy was a uh, he got his name from um Hammerjacks, which is a fi- famous baltimore club and that was his nickname there
0: it's the cbgbs of baltimore
2: Yes, and Hal, if you, if you have any interest in the history of Hammerjacks, Hal would be a great guy to talk to. That You should definitely – I'm on your podcast because you used to talk to him about being a Hammerjacks bartender in the 70s, doing mind-blowing amounts of cocaine and, ser- <laughs> <laughs> and, and serving drinks to, like, ACDC. Like, that's – you know, so another uh, – another- He had
0: great stories back in the day. And I got to say, for all the shit that we give the place and we give him over the years as kids – he gave us, yeah. he gave so many musicians a home to play, and he was nice. Yeah. You know how hard it is to find a bar owner who's like nice to you. Like he yeah. treated every, probably treated people too nicely. Yeah, to the fact that it's like, what, like the hiring process for you was like. Hey, do you want to do it? Like that's the interview. <laughs> right, <exactly>. one question.
2: <laughs> that's how Hal's the interview vision.
0: was one question and an offer. Like it's
2: <laughs> Yes. And how always that yeah, and he was wheeling and dealing with everybody and everybody had to deal with how. And and he was, he's great. He was a mastermind of customer service. I've seen him de-escalate situations. He's brilliant. he was he was really good at being a bartender and being a and being a, and running that. Running that crazy place. Everybody booked bands like my friend Chuck you, there was a hundred people that booked bands and books nights and nobody cared. And there was very ever a big fuck up. There was barely ever any time where two or three bands. And if there was, it was like, okay, well, we'll all just play. So tonight there's seven bands playing. Okay. Well, like that's how, that's how stuff was resolved. And, and for a bar that was fueled with a lot of booze and a lot of weed, and there was a lot of drugs there. There wasn't a lot of fights. There wasn't a lot of problems. There was no like jerks. There was nobody there that was like you had to be nice to or he was gonna beat you up or there was nothing like you know there was it was really like a group of friends in a clubhouse feel and that's really what it, yeah. what what it was and then there were bands and there were great Mastodon played there, Dillinger Escape Plan played there back you know when they were nobodies and we played
0: with Lamb of God.
2: Lamb of God used to play there four people.
0: Yeah, we played with Lamb of God. If you're a metalhead. Lamb of God is one of the biggest bands out there now. Yeah,
2: if you're a metalhead, uh, you know who Lamagod. Metal God is.
0: hardcore guy. Yeah, you know they're you know, nicest guys. Yeah, it was you know our bands, them and like four people, and I'm pretty sure it snowed too. Yeah. And they're like, it, yeah. So um, those guys
2: were called Burn the Priest then, and they were from Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. And so they played. We oh, no, were Lamb about... of
0: God when we played with them.
2: Yeah, mean, were around, they, yeah. that I think was that was. And they were. It was they, just um, like
0: after we played with them, like a month later, they blew
2: up. Yeah, they that's they um they used to play house once a month, and it would be like, oh, those dirty guys from Richmond are coming again, <laughs> and then the next thing you know, it's like I'm waiting in line to buy tickets to see them. Like it really was overnight, they blew the fuck up, and then they sure weren't playing house anymore. But that <laughs> was,
0: not, yeah. but, well, but I think the best instance in my experience that, sh- that showcases how much of a community uh, clubhouse that How Daddy's was. Yeah, was we were. I don't even know if we were playing that night. I'm pretty sure we were playing that night. We were hanging out. I think we were going on the. You know, it was either Devil's Radio. In my, well, at the time it was Devil's Radio, or or misdirected, or both. And this is why I know this is because we were there. We're upstairs. We're hanging out. We're drinking. You walk up and you're like, "Hey guys, uh yeah, yeah." The bar is full. There's people in the bar. Like we, there was a crowd there, which is weird because sometimes you get there on a Friday and there's nobody there, oh, or yeah. you come on a, on a on a Friday and Upstairs, downstairs, and everything's packed for no reason whatsoever. So, anyway, we're upstairs. Bar's pretty busy. You walk up to me and, and the bands, and you're like, hey, guys, can you do me a personal favor? There's a band playing downstairs that's opening up. They're really good. Nobody's watching them. None of their friends came. Can you just go down and watch them during their set so it's a little less awkward? And i are like, sure. And we go down there. Uh, and it turns out to be, who I'm still friends with now, the band Brat, uh, <laughs> who was like Will West <laughs> and Frog and Clay and them. And it's like, they're like, you know, first year of playing wherever we go down, and they just like they were so good and so much fun. We went upstairs and started bringing everybody else down until yeah. the whole bar emptied out downstairs to watch them. And they're st- this is early in their thing, they're still doing their gimmick of the the you know, playing Johnny B. Good with doing the solo behind their neck, yeah, yeah. and playing linoleum by No Effects, which like now every band plays Nolium but back then nobody played Nolium because it's just so stupid fast Yeah. and we had the best time we made friends with them they watched our set we got all rowdy drunk and had such a great time that we became friends and I helped manage them with their manager and we played all the time together and we're still like the bands and the guys in, in from that still hang out. There's so much crossover in, like every other, you know, every iteration of each other's band that shows up. More people cross over, and that is a, a lifelong friendship that developed at a bar amongst bands that didn't know each other, yeah. and it all became because you walked us like, "Hey, can you just? I've seen the guys before; they're good. Can you just go down and, and watch them so it's a little less weird?"
2: Yeah, and then I did that a lot. That that was a common move because. There were a lot of really good bands that nobody cared about. And there's a lot of guys who played to an empty basement. And I know what that feels like. I've played to empty basements. And if, if you could just go downstairs for 10 minutes and sip your beer and watch these guys and then come back upstairs. And yeah, and you'll find working there, I got exposed to so much music, both good and bad. It really changed my life. I learned to like stuff I didn't know I was going to like. I learned to hate things I used to like. Uh, it was, there was, uh, you know, you really, uh, you really got, it really, there was a lot of, there was a lot of bands that were absolutely fucking terrible, but they were so much fun and they were such good guys. I used to love it when they played. And then there were bands that I loved and I loved their music and they were super musicians and they were great and they were fucking jerks. And I used to hate when they played. Like the only time I enjoyed their set was when they were playing. The rest of the time they were assholes. So like, you know, you had such a weird mix of people. There was a band, I, I'm going to go plug my laptop in because it's getting weird on me, but there was a band, the, the people ask me all the time, like, what was the worst band that ever played House? Because I think, honestly, one of the appeals to Hal Daddies was the fact that it had this Mystery Science Theater 3000 kind of this is, uh, feel to it. Sometimes you had a band that was just objectively horrible, <laughs> and it was fun to watch, and it was terrible, and there was, you know, and, you know, it is what it is. So, but you had that you know when something is so terrible, it's good. that that is that is an enviable trait. so there there was this band called Drop Zone, super original <laughs> name. And uh, Drop Zone had two members, a guitar player singer, and a drummer. The drummer had the basic like Sears Roebuck drum kit with literally three pieces to it <laughs> and looked like he was about fifteen. And the guitar player was like thirty seven, maybe maybe forty, and he had a broken old guitar. And he had all these um, flowing scarves and handkerchiefs, uh, <laughs> very reminiscent of Mr. Steven Tyler. And he was wearing cowboy boots and these jeans that looked like they were painted on. And this shirt that was like sparkly and it was halfway done. And he had this big hairy chest and a huge big belly. like it was. It was and he got up there and wrote and had these songs. He only had three, but they were colossal hits and they were so good that they played the set twice. They played these six songs, three songs both <laughs> twice, and one song was called Drop Zone, the name of their band. Um so, you know, and the the uh and so they it, they were the t- worst band. Those two guys were the most fun dudes to hang out with though cuz they were so crazy and they didn't realize they were crazy. And uh and I used to love when they would play it. and I used to tell people like if if like if you would have thought Metallica was playing, I'd be like you got to come see Drop Zone. This is the best <laughs> band in Baltimore right now. You you got to do this, and 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 people would come out, and it was great. It was a great. It was. It had that whole like, you know, this is so terrible. It's great vibe, and uh, and so that was one of the things. You know, we can't leave out of the How Daddy story is there were some terrible goddamn bands, but they were so much fun, and everybody had a great time.
0: Uh, yeah, and you know what, that that kind of attitude is what forged a lot of bonds in the Baltimore uh music scene in the sure. late nineties and early 2000s is that you know a lot of us were coming of age. We didn't have anywhere to go beforehand. Like yeah. uh, you know, especially when you talk to like like Brad, South Baltimore band. You know, misdirected, Essex. Yeah you know, uh um um where where like Curtis Bay or I forget where where Drew and them grew up. But it's like you had so many bands that really were isolated in their own neighborhoods, and nowhere to go, nowhere to go, and that gave us a home. Brass Monkey, for for better or for worse, was a <laughs> home. Tattoo Cafe,
2: oh yeah, forgot about Tattoo Cafe. Sure.
0: I, so yeah. did I. Until halfway through the conversation, I remembered about Tattoo Caf- uh, Cafe, and I was like, I do have to mention because I want to say the guy that ran the place was named Rick. Yeah, I think that was his name. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and he is just like uh, he to us in the punk metal scene was just. Uh, uh, not a fatherly figure. I wouldn't call him and Hal fatherly figures. They were like older brothers. They were like, they really they gave were. us places to play. They were nice to us. Yeah. Rick was office fucking rocker. Like I remember, uh, we were all sitting around, uh, the bar it was just us, all kids, all underage. He would do daytime Sunday punk shows. And he's sitting there's like, he walks up and just comes up to the bar. And he goes, Hey, do you know how to get away with the perfect murder? What'd you do? Christmas day. Drive to a town you've never been to. Drive up to a random house. Don't even think about it. Just pick a house. Go right up to it. Knock on the door. When the person opens the door, you shoot them in the face. Get in your car and drive away. There's no connection to you whatsoever. What a <laughs> He told <laughs> that to a bunch of 16-year-olds. <laughs> and last I heard is after he closed up uh, Tattoo Cafe, he moved to Florida to do Viking funerals. That's what I heard. Wow. I don't know if that's the truth. But when you hear that, it's like, that's insane. And also makes sense if you remember Rick from Tattoo Cafe.
2: <laughs> he he was nutty, and I remember Tattoo Cafe got its name because there was a tattoo shop upstairs. T- But they got shut down (laughs) because they gave people hepatitis. And so they shut it down. And so it's still called Cafe. And that used to crack me up. Like, (laughs) you still kept the bar name. People got sick from the bad tattooing, but you still called it that. Wouldn't you just feel like we're going to start over, guys? It's now the Rustler Club or something. You know, like you just start over. (laughs) Do you remember EJ Bugs in Fells Point?
0: I do remember the name. I can't remember anything else other than the name.
2: EJ Bugs was a a shit bar in fells point back when fells well, point yeah. was full shit bars <laughs> and they let they were like okay fine you can have bands play in the back and there was again no stage and you just played in the back and if you were too loud they asked you to turn down so it was that kind of a place do you know what i mean <laughs> and uh so that was another you know just shit venue in this town but you're right i loved um the guys that misdirected i loved all the guys that you you were always with uh the fun people there really weren't jerks. Like I said, we had, there were times there were bullies and stuff. But, man, there was for a bar, like I said, that had so many different kinds of people and so much different shit going on, there were no fights. There was no altercations. There was no problems. Everyone was drunk and happy and having a great time. And how often does that happen anymore? I, you know what I mean? Like pretty much when Hal's when closed, I stopped going to bars. And, uh, and I go see my friends' bands here and again, but it's just not the same. That was, that was a real magical place for a lot of people. I know a bunch of people who have a Hal Daddies tattoo as well. Uh, my friend Christy has Hal Daddies Forever tattooed on her thigh. Um, so, you know, it, it meant a lot to a lot of different people. And people still write to me or stop me in this, you know, when they see me or remember or anything and just tell me how much that place was. And I like to tell people I went there before I could drink too. When I went there in 1995, I was 20 years old. I asked, I didn't. They, nobody asked me for my ID. I was there just like you guys were, and so I wanted to keep that tradition going. And so we let people in that were underage. We let people in, and we kept an eye on them. And how, you know, he didn't serve, how sold drinks to people who should not have been drinking or, or underage, no question. But how did it in a very responsible manner? And how did it in a way almost like your friend's dad is like, okay, buddy, you can have a beer with the grownups, but that's about it. Like, seriously, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you can't get away with anything like this now. But that's how it was. And we were kind of like these musical shepherds, really, that <laughs> let you come in and get <laughs> fucked up and nothing bad's going to happen. And then you go back to your county house and you're good. And that's – and I love that. And so my, my brother's band, when they first started, they were all underage. We used to let them play. So many groups of people. They got their first beer in a bar at Hal Daddy's. And I was I was just so proud and honored to, to – uh, to help facilitate that for the seven years that it was uh it was the cool spot that it was. My
0: first drink in a bar was at Hal Daddy's and yeah. it was a kaboom.
2: <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. That's like Hal's signature drink. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I think I, I think I had Natty Bo, it was my first beer in a bar, and it was at Hal Daddy's and I was 20. I just turned 22. Like I wasn't even close to 21. Like I was still like nine like eleven months away from being twenty-one. <laughs>
0: I remember telling people, you know, one of the things I would use to sell people to come to how daddy's, uh, was it was like, Oh, it's a bar. And they're not going to let me. It's like how daddy's they're going to ask you for ID. Just show them anything, your ID, a library card. They don't care. Yeah. Just show them something. They'll let you in.
2: Yeah. Those were, those were the days. And believe me, the first time we got busted, um, it, we had to really change the tune and, and I had to really check IDs and we, we just couldn't let people under 18 in and yeah. we just couldn't, you know what I mean? Um, but oh, there was a until point where then. you guys
0: installed a camera and we were already going there for years. There was a camera right above the door and yeah. we walk in and goes, whoa, whoa, guys, I need to check your IDs. Like Jack, it's us. and he goes, yeah, we have a, and you're doing this. You're like, we have a camera now. I don't care what you show me. I just have to, for the camera, shh, <laughs> right. let the camera see that you're,
2: ch- like, come here, here so not you're in I talking about frame. that shit, yeah. That's true. <laughs> we had a camera, so Hal could prove that we were carding people. And so yeah. people that came in, they're like, I don't have ID. I'm like, the camera, you know, this is the early 2000s. This camera has no fucking anything. Just show me a slip of paper. Cool. You know what I mean? Like, anything. And so, yeah, I, remember, I had totally forgot about that. That's hilarious.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that, you, know, you are right in that, I mean, I, can, I can't I can count on two hands the amount of time my friends and I have been wasted puking on the streets after coming out of show, but I can't remember any of those instances actually being at house. Yeah. Like, we definitely drank, we definitely had fun, we definitely had, you know, you know indulged in too much of everything. Right. But it never ever seemed like anyone had, like, I can't remember ever taking someone out of Hal Dave and worrying that I have to watch them so they don't swallow their tongue. Right, yeah. Like, it did have, you know, and I never really thought about it until now you just said it. It had a very, if you're going to drink, at least you're drinking with us kind of It did. vibe.
2: There was there was your older brothers looking out for you vibe kind of the whole time. And that was yeah. that was part of the charm.
0: Let me ask you this. Going from being someone in a band to working in a bar and now no longer being able to play, was there, like, a memoriam for that? Was there, like, at the time we were like... If I would love to go back and play banana, but I'm doing this job. Was there ever any animosity towards that?
2: No, I, um, I was going to quit Hal's when I turned 30 and I was going to have a big party on my 30th birthday and I was going to officially retire from how and that never happened because we got shut down and I was like 28. So that, that was just very unceremoniously ended. And that without a lot of fanfare, I've jammed and stuff and I have played around, but. You know i'm I'm forty five now and I work like a professional day job and and you know any kind of dreams of of music has long died. but there's um, but i I just look back on it with with such fond memories i i I'd never want to work in another bar. like I'm just not a bar guy. I don't really like even hanging out in bars. And to be honest with you, I started working there. I was like, man, am I really gonna have to deal with drunks every night uh you know there was a lot of apprehension but i i just loved the music and i loved the people so much but no there's never been any kind of a fabulous send off or anything like that or, or any kind of anything i just kind of moved on and, and went on and i was like well i'm going to do podcasts and i'm going to do stand up now and uh and just kind of shifted gears and did it um but i i just there's i, I nowhere i've ever worked um, have do I have such a response from people where people stop me in streets and at shows and want to talk about a bar they went to 25 years ago that just you know still lives in their heart? Because really, name a place like that now. You know what I mean? Like you go to venues now and they're all nice and new and glossy and everybody. You know, it's just it's not the same as this really dirty bar. Uh, you also have to remember too, as it was just this row home that was the bar. Uh, the walls were completely covered in band stickers. Um, and they, we had uh show posters from the late eighties on the wall and Hal had his personal record collection around ringing around the uh, yeah. top of the thing. So you had like, uh, you know, just really bad eighties cheese metal <laughs> records and stuff all around. It was great. It was, great. It, was, the the, sky. The, it, was it was great. It was, it, it was it, the, the, um, the decorum is like nothing else really.
0: And I will say, I started saying it earlier and I'll say it now that I was there the day that it it, it, yeah. it basically ended because we were just hanging out, playing beer pong and and hanging out. And the, the fire marshal and the liquor board just came walking up Lombard Street, walked into every place, started dropping down fines and they yeah. come in the house and we're like, Ugh! and we're, wa- we're standing there watching. And I can literally quote, this is not secondhand. This is not somebody else. I was standing next to the fire marshal. In the basement, looking at the wire, like How had just put in a new sound system, yeah. Put in new lights, and to quote the fire marshal, he looked up and went, "This place is a tomb." Like, <laughs> like How just spent so much money trying to upgrade everything, and unfortunately wasn't done anywhere near code. And yeah. it was like, if one of these wires goes up, this whole place will just be a firebox. You can't do shows. And he tried for weeks and months to try and get everything up to code, like, and tried to get it together and just couldn't. And, and unfortunately. That was the end of
2: it. You know? It really felt like they wanted to shut us down, and they, did, they were looking for reasons. Um, you're right. There, there was some sketchy stuff in there, but they would tell us stuff, and then we would fix it. And then they would say, okay, well, that's fixed now, but what about this? And what about this? And it just felt like they were just trying to make this so they wanted Hal to stop having live bands. That's what they wanted him to do. They said, you can have a bar. We are going to just shut your basement down and just have a bar on this level. The house would have been out of business you can't sell any natty Bo with 15 people up there so that was uh it, it was sad
0: there's no neighborhood there there's no it's not like you can no. make that into a neighborhood place everything around there is just in that part of highland town it, there's no houses
2: no and, and and yeah you it was definitely a destination nobody that was nobody's local bar yeah and it was sad and but that's you know in in Retrospect, though, that all came from that disaster with uh, one of the was it warrant or one of those uh, hair metal bands. Great White. Great Great White White, had that fire that killed like 16 people. Remember? And that's yeah, what I didn't killed, even put that, that together. That was right around the same time. That, that was what killed Hal because that happened. And then the Baltimore liquor board said, well, we can't have that shit happening here. We're going to tighten down on all our music venues. And that put us and the Brass Monkey and EJ Bugs. We all went out of business. There was a nine month period in this town where there was nowhere to play. There was about nine months. I'd say I think it was around 2004. Um, there was nowhere to play. Hal's was gone. Eat all the, band, the places I mentioned. Um, that one place and the other place in Fells Point that was really cool, I can't remember what it was. That place closed. Every there was nowhere to play for about nine months in this town, and uh, and it was all because of Great White. So if you're a Great White fan, fuck you. And uh, other, than, but yeah, but that
0: if you're a Great White fan that didn't burn up in the fire in Rhode Island, fuck yeah, you.
2: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And fuck that place in Rhode Island for operating a death trap, and yeah, making it look it bad for everyone had, else.
0: They had fire sconces on the walls, and that's what caught fire. Between yeah. that and, like, I think the pyrotechnics on the band, those two things caught fire.
2: That, yeah. That and then cool. no escape routes or anywhere for people to get out quickly. And yeah. And now that is, was a death trap. There's a, if there was some kind of commotion in that basement, we had a band called Bad Luck 13 Riot Extravaganza play there. They're from Philly. Yep. They're great, really cool guys. They put on a hell of a show. They come out with bats covered in barbed wire and start swinging them and they set off smoke bombs and they set off stink bombs and they pepper spray people and themselves. And um, that started erupting in the basement and people were fleeing and literally falling down the stairs trying to get up. And I saw this. I was like, "Whoa, oh, buddy, we ever had a real emergency down there. We would be fucked. And so, you know, in all honesty, it was a death trap, but it was pretty safe, too. There wasn't, I don't think there was ever big enough crowds for it to really, and there was like, I I don't know. You
0: couldn't put a big crowd in there. Like, there's no way. I mean, I'm sure the place was at capacity every night because at capacity there's, you can't, you can't overcapacitate, you can't overfill that place because it's so small.
2: The most, there were, there were several shows. There was a band from Essex called Pimp Daddy Longstocking.
0: Ah, oh, wow. There is a band name that I have not had to think about. Remember them?
2: His daddy. Years. They used to play house and they would bring 200 people. There'd be people up and down Lombard street. There'd be people in the backyard. There'd be people in the alley. There'd be people down the street. Um, another band, meet Jack um, from Baltimore. They're really good guys. Um, they used to pack it too. They'd have to bring 150 people out. And then the big shows Mastodon played there back before Mastodon was anybody. 200 people. Dillinger escape Plan played there. There was probably the most people I'd ever seen. There was people all the way in the back, all the way back to the fence. The entire back looked like a seating area. And that was the backyard. You weren't even facing the stage. You couldn't even see the band. You were just there to hear it. There were so many people. I've never that was, Those were the biggest shows I ever saw there. There was a band there that used to uh, do theme nights. And one night they did an 80s-themed prom in Haldaddy's. And they completely transformed the basement with chandeliers and candelabras and 80s themed decorations and all of their friends came dressed in 80s prom outfits and i swear to god you would if you walked down that basement you would have thought it was 1986 you know the enchantment under the sea dance or something it was it was it was beautiful it was really cool people really did cool and imaginative things there um people there was a lot of bands that did like um like skits and performances in between songs. And we had, um, there was a, there was several hip hop and rap groups that came in and, 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 and performed. We had everybody, there were ska bands and punk bands and metal bands. Yes. But there were like rock bands. We had a fucking guy that was a dentist and he did Dave Matthews songs with an acoustic guitar. And he had his wife play the bongos and he would come down there and he had us put, folding chairs down how bought folding chairs for this guy and he paid us he would have all his friends come down and sit in their folding chairs and he would play like five or six dave matthews songs and they would pay and they would all hang out and how would go to the uh store and buy boxes of wine because they were the only people that ever came to Hal Daddy's and requested wine mm-hmm. so how went and bought wine but once once every two or three months, this dentist would play. Like, everybody played there. It was community access stage. It was, and man, that is, I just think that's so awesome. You can't do that shit now. Now, now it's so weird. But that, you saw everybody with a guitar played at Hell Daddy's. That was it.
0: The difference between, like, those days and now is if you do something weird on stage, it's on purpose to be weird. Yeah. Whereas back then, if you did something weird, it was just because you were weird. Yeah. There was so much Ernst in the weirdness that was Baltimore back in the day. And there's still some of that now, but like when you, you know, now I, every time I start reminiscing about those days, I'm like, somebody needs to make a documentary about all these things and all these places. And I guess it's going to have to be me one day. I guess I I've been a working film
2: on a memoir about how that is for about 15 years. I have about 30 pages of notes. It's gonna be called. If it wasn't for you, I'd have to get a job, which is what <laughs>
1: I love that name.
2: Which is what Hal used to say every night when he was closing the bar, if you remember. If it wasn't for you, and I, I love you guys. If it wasn't for you, I'd have to get a job. That and that was pretty much my motto for the seven years I worked there in my twenties. Um and uh and it was just um yeah. So I do wanna. I'm gonna publish a memoir at some point about how that is. I'm not really sure exactly how I'm going to word it. Cause I want to tell true stories, but there's some people that I don't want to upset hurt, or destroy their lives. So, you know, it's going to be, just waiting, gonna
0: be you're waiting them out until they all die
2: until they die. <laughs> right. But there was, there was some hilarious moments. There was some funny moments. There was some scary moments. There was a night, a bunch of bikers were going to beat up our bartender, Sean, because Sean had a nicer bike than them and they were going to beat him up for it. You know? And, and I was like, uh, I'm not stopping these guys. The, the one guy's name was graveyard was his biker name. Do you think I'm going to fight a guy named Graveyard? Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? No. No, oh, You sir. don't fight Graveyard because you'll end up in a graveyard. I think that's how he got the name. I don't think he <laughs> cut the grass there. That's... You know? <laughs> I, 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 you know I, I, think. I
0: remember there was a bartender. She last did not last very long. Her name, I want to say, was Kelly. Brown yeah. hair. Mm-hmm. Big lips.
2: Big everything, yes.
0: Big everything. Uh, oh, yeah. First night she worked there, we were there. And all, she goes away for a moment. We're like, where the hell is Kelly? We all want beers. We go to the bathroom. And she ah, 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 just getting railed by a dude in the bathroom on her first day. And it's like, well, that's hell, daddies. That's yeah. what happens here.
2: That uh, Kelly is awesome. Um, she's a great <laughs> gal. Um, we all
0: made m- plenty of mistakes with people. I'm not shaming Yeah, no, that. No, no. Don't worry.
2: Uh, we had a slew of bartenders. Uh, we had Kathy, who's a great gal. Uh, we, had, we had two Kathy's. Um, and then my friend Lou's girlfriend used to attend bar there. And I can't remember her name. Wendy. Wendy was the bartender the first time I ever went there. Hal always had a reasonably attractive woman behind the bar for most of the time of, of Hal's existence um, because nobody wanted to look at Hal um, and, or I. So, you know, we tried to hire beautiful people. Um, there was a night I ruined a tour. There's a band called Bottom. Um, and they're an all-girl, like, Black Sabbath-sounding band. They're really awesome. And oh, all wow. of those chicks are so hot. You can't even believe it. And they played How Daddies, and they were on tour. And they're from, like, U- at the time, they were from, like, the Czech Republic. And they were on this U.S. tour. And, uh, and the girls were hot. And I was flirting with this one girl who was the bass player, and she was really tall. And she was wearing high heels. And I said to her outside while they were unloading their gear – Step out of that heel for a minute. I want to see how tall you are. And she did and stepped on a piece of broken glass. And I'm so smooth. So smooth. So I'm taking this girl that has a very rudimentary understanding of the English language to the Highland Town emergency room to get three stitches in her foot on their first day of the American tour. So... I see them, like, two weeks later on tour, like, like they're posting pictures on, on Facebook, and she's on stage, beautiful, model-like woman on stage with, like, this wrapped-up foot looking like a hobo. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> and I just felt so terrible because I was just, you know. But, yeah, I asked her to step out of those heels for a minute, and she stepped right on a, like, a, like planned it, stepped right on a fucking broken bottle. So, oh but, yeah, God. but, you know, that's... One
0: of
2: the fun things. It's fun. You never know what's going to happen.
0: Well, let me ask you this. transitioning out of that into because I think, and I said it when you know when we were talking about this, this conversation is so long overdue because oh, yeah. I had a radio show in Montgomery County that I wanted to have you on to tell these stories. And we yeah, never oh, yeah. got around to that happening. And then here we are, all these years later, finally having these stories. Yeah, like and a long time I mess life. it when we were talking about uh doing this episode, I hit you up because. This is a podcast where I interview artists and entertainers about their day jobs. And I remember, and maybe my memory is failing me, but I hit you up. I was like, are you, by the way, day job wise, are you are still an x-ray tech? Which, if I remember correctly, didn't you tell me you were going to school to become an x-ray tech?
2: Or No. Okay. I've, uh, no. <laughs> I don't know where you got that. That's interesting.
0: Neither um, do I. I like, it, it, it's,
2: it's a good what, what, career I, move, maybe. But I, uh, I'm an, an insurance adjuster. Um, I started this. Uh, I went after house closed. I decided to go back to school, and I went back and got my college degree. And then I started working at Allstate as a, uh, as a, you know, handling really minor c- traffic accidents and stuff like that. And I worked my way up to injury and severe injury and fatalities, and then and then uh, attorney repped injuries Wait and a fatalities. Second. So,
0: as an insurance adjuster, you, I, there's levels to insurance adjusting, like oh, yeah. You you don't just like like, I, I know nothing about insurance uh-huh. other than I have to pay for it when I, when I I'm supposed to pay for it. That's right. all I know. Yeah, about it. And then apparently nobody will ever help when when something. There happens. are but
2: there are. <laughs> I didn't realize. Different- th-
0: like so when you start out, you have to like start out with the easy jobs and then yeah. work your way up to Just like everything that's else. That's insane. Yeah. Like And not only that, that, but there's
2: different like. kinds of adjusters. There's property damage adjusters and they're basically mechanics. Okay. And they go out and write the estimates on the car and send photos back to us. And then the your inside adjuster, the guy you talk to on the phone, they determine who's at fault for the accident, who's gonna get paid, and, and, and sets that in motion. And then so and then there's and then so what I've been doing. And my current job is I'm what's called a BI adjuster, a bodily injury adjuster. So I handle bodily injury claims that come out of car accidents. So I don't really care. By the time I get to talking to you, your car has already been fixed and you've already been in the rental and you're you're already set. And now we're talking about like your long term treatment plans for, the, for your for your injury. And then I'll pay you a settlement at the end. And so that's. Um, but there's all kinds of uh, there's all kinds of adjusters. There's independent adjusters that you can hire and go out and look at stuff for you. There's heavy machinery adjusters. There's all kinds of it's, it's a big field. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really fun because it's not a job like it's not a you have to really use your brain and use critical thinking and you really got to have people skills. I interview people and they're trying to lie to me about what happened in an accident. So I have to look at the intersection and match what they're saying with what I'm seeing and what makes sense and what a normal person would do in this situation. And it's really kind of like I'm playing this game where you're lying to me and I'm trying to figure it out before I have to send you a check. So it's, it's, it's a fun it, – it, it's really interesting. You meet a lot of really interesting people. Um, you meet a lot of phonies and, and a lot of people trying to fake and get money, and that's fun to deal with. I had a guy uh, that was telling me that after this really minor accident, he could never walk again that he was going to be in a wheelchair. And I mean, this is the total damage to his car was less than $300. So I was like, I really don't think this happened. Your airbags didn't go off. So I looked him up on Facebook, and here he is. He bought his daughter a trampoline for her birthday, and here he is, a video doing flips on the trampoline on his daughter's birthday. So all I did was send that video clip to his attorney and say, I think we can settle this today. And we did, <laughs> you know what I mean. And so that's fun when you have this guy telling you for six weeks that he can't move and he's in so much pain, and then you catch him doing flips on a trampoline. Like you know, you feel a little good about yourself after that. But it, it's a it's an interesting job, and it really it, it's really a, a thinking job, and that's what I really like about it. It's really I, I kind of play a detective, and I get to help people, and, and it's really uh, I really love it. I, I suggest With- it for anybody.
0: With that industry, since there's so many different places, is there like, you, not just you, but other people you work with? Yeah. Has there been people like, oh, I used to do injury stuff and I can't do it anymore? Oh, absolutely. And they moved to different, like, like in the police force, where somebody's like, I used to work homicide. Oh, boy, I <laughs> yes. can't do that shit anymore. Those guys, I, in I, the I don't know brands what brands kind of cigar brands. this was, but that's yeah, the cigar, you know, the yeah. Harvey Dent of. <sighs> <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> Yes, those are total loss adjusters—the guys who, uh, when you total your car, and they negotiate the value of your total loss. Um, those guys are the grizzly detectives of the insurance world because they—they're they're usually older. They're usually getting ready to go out to pasture, and they, all they do is argue all day, and they're just done. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no investigation. There's nothing they can do. They just argue with you all day, and they're—they're they're fucking done. They're done. So yeah, the average adjuster lasts about seven years before they burn out. So I've been doing this eleven which means I'm either mentally ill or I'm <laughs> due for for a breakdown real soon but it, it's, it's actually really interesting work and uh, if you really like if you're good with people I highly suggest it's a great uh, career for comedians I totally I'm not I'm saying that unabashedly I have so many claim stories that double as as like a stand up routine all I have to do is just tell you like these claim stories are so ridiculous they're better than any joke you could ever make up because they're just so you can't believe it. You know and it's just it's just unbelievable what people get themselves into and try and lie their way out of
0: <laughs> well uh, that's interesting I mean you obviously you've been bringing up stand up we you know i am a stand up myself um one of the reasons that I finally took the plunge into stand up was and actually nope I was gonna say my first stand up show was at Hal's that's not true it was sidebar cafe uh which is you know is sidebar cafe is the safe hal daddies <laughs> how uh, so,
2: and, uh this, the sidebar is like Hal's younger brother. It's like that. It's, you know what I mean? It's just like Hal Daddy's just, you know. I don't know if you ever know this. I hate to go on a side trip. Have you no, ever been do. to the sidebar during business hours? Like between oh, nine? yeah. It's a totally – there's people in suits and ties and lawyers and judges. I walked in there to put up flyers at 3 o'clock in the afternoon one time, and I was like, what the fuck? Did I come in the wrong bar? There's all these mm-hmm. guys – like there's all these like <laughs> – it was incredible. It's the sidebar is most split personality bar you can imagine in this yeah. town. During the day, it's all lawyers because it's right. It's literally across the street from the courthouse, and then at night, it's punk rock heaven. It's the weirdest shit you've ever
0: seen. It's insane. And here's the thing. I always tell people about that when they're like, Oh, Baltimore, the wire. I totally want to go visit that bar that they used to hold all the Irish funerals in for the cops. I'm like, Oh, you mean the sidebar? Yeah. The reason they call it the sidebar is because it's next to the courthouse and it's filled with lawyers all day. And then at night death metal bands played there yeah. and it just blows people's minds. Yeah. And it, <laughs> dude, it blew my mind first time. Yeah. We showed up early for a show that we had, and there were there were, it was just lawyer and judge- like we all walked in and looked at us like that guy uh gave me uh uh, uh probation before judgment. I don't want to be in here right now <laughs> <laughs> right. like it's, that guy put put my brother in jail. Let's get out of here and just sit in the parking lot.
2: i know it, it was it's <laughs> surreal like it really is it's like you're in a, you're in the wrong room, you know what i mean and i I'd love to know the stories of the judges that went there after hours and saw what that place turns into after after seven p m do you know what I mean? The, the like buttoned down lawyer who's like, I'll grab one last one at the sidebar and walks in and there's, you know, six guys with four foot mohawks at the bar. You know what I mean? They like, had,
0: I think they all knew what was going on because it's not like they changed the bartenders between day and night. Like you still had <laughs> right. punk metal women and right. Maddie, uh, Maddie, uh, not Maddie Pop-Tart. Who was the other Maddie? Maddie Pop-Tart was the guy who was running around with Matt Davis a lot. Maddie Pants, that's his name. Maddie Pants was the guy for the longest time doing all the booking and, and running everything. So you had Maddie Pants who, was, who looks like the, 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 the prototype for emo kids uh, and just, you know, punk rock chicks with piercings and, and dyed hair serving judges beers and, and and you know, scotch on the rocks during the day. They had to know what was going on there at night. And again, just like How Daddy's, the entire place is covered in stickers.
2: Yeah, the, the decor <laughs> is stickers. Is- Which,
0: by the way, <laughs> The amount of stickers that are in the toilet bowl underwater makes me pray that they never had. That makes me happy that the sidebar always had soap on the bu- uh, on the sink.
2: <laughs> well, the sidebar bathroom is legendary in that it smells before you can even see it. Um, and Hal's <laughs> was too. Hal's bathroom was really bad. Um, there's just no way to keep it clean. It, it, funny uh, Hal's story. Nobody wanted to clean the toilets. It was a big, it was a big problem. So how you to hire a junkie to come in and clean that toilet every once in a while because it was so bad. Because none of us would do it because it was disgusting. Yeah. And if we had to shit during our shift, we'd go upstairs to the apartment and take a shit up there. And it was great. Um, the, the event, I think punk rock bar bathrooms universally are terrible. I mean, I've yeah. been to a lot of dirty dive punk rock bars. Nobody had a nice bathroom. But, yeah, the sidebar bathroom, I was always worried those wood plank urine soaked floors were going to give out one day while I was pissing. I was going to end up in the basement because God knows those planks were so like every night just covered in urine. How when were they going to give out? You know what I mean? Like how when was going to be the last straw that broke the urine brack? Like it was just so, you know, ugh. You're right. I want to know who the sticker company is that made all those underwater sticker toilets toilet stickers because they're still there 10 years later after 6 billion flushes.
0: And you know, I'm glad that you brought this up because this episode of So What Do You Really Do? Brought to you by Sticker Guy. Sticker Guy stickers. Go to for for stickers that last, underwater, vinyl and color prints. Go to stickerguy.com.
2: Decorate your local bar today. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which by the way is bands up until about five years ago, Sticker Guy was the guy to get stickers from. Oh, every, yeah? every band I knew got stickers from Sticker Guy, and they they were high quality. Uh, and by the way, I know Sticker Guy sounds like a joke, but it was a real, real company. It was a real deal. They were one of the first ones you could order stickers from on the internet. They, high quality, great prices. Uh, they're still in business as far as I know. I know, but everybody's switched over to somebody else. Uh, I don't know who. I don't I don't remember who I got my stickers from, uh, because uh, I just, like, when I got fired from my uh, job in radio, and I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna be a full-time comedian now." Which, by the way, as soon as you announce that, the company that has the loan for your car starts processing the repossession paperwork. Oh, absolutely. Like they, <laughs> I know
2: because it's worse than uh, being unemployed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, and I ordered a bunch of stickers and buttons, and I don't remember even the company that I ordered mine from. But they're great. They're they're good. Uh. And the only reason I didn't order from Sticker Guy is because uh, people told me the quality went downhill, uh, and I've heard from other people that it's back up. So I don't know uh, if you're gonna hey, support people that have support young punk metal kids like myself and uh, go to StickerGuy.com.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just did a visual joke on the podcast with an audio sound effect.
2: <laughs> that was, well, I'm glad you did a lot of research because now if Sticker Guy like supports Al Qaeda or something like, you're gonna you're gonna not. <laughs> We'll have to edit out the endorsements. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Sticker Guy joined the uh, the Russian Foreign Legion.
0: <laughs> sticker Guy is a Trump supporter now. Ah. Oh, oh, <laughs> St- what? I just the new the new conspiracy there is QAnon is Sticker Guy. Sticker Guy has been behind QAnon this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh. what the the HBO Max documentary missed. It's been secretly a secret Guy, a Sticker Guy this whole time.
2: There's, there's so many guys in Baltimore. Do you know, there's a soap guy. There's a guy that sits out on North Avenue in the corner of North Avenue and Park in Baltimore. And he's got just like pounds and pounds of, of soap. And he sells soap like maybe once a month he's out there and he's the soap guy. And everybody in the neighborhood talks about like, oh, are you going to the soap guy? Yeah, I'll see you over there. I'm going to go after work. (laughs) Like everybody talks about him and he's the soap guy. And he's like, he's just like this old guy out there selling soap. I don't know how he got the soap. It's all name brand. It's not like he made it. It's all like Irish spring. It's all like soap that probably fell off a truck. But uh, but he's the soap guy. And he just fucking sits out there and sells soap. That's what, you know, Baltimore. And, you know, we have, uh, we still have the uh, fruit cart guys. The guys drive around on horses with the fruit carts. And I get people all the time be like, what the fuck is this 1850 shit? And I'm like, that's Baltimore. They're, they're a piece of history here. They have their, you know.
0: Cardboard guy, the guy who works, who has always has cardboard he's carrying around, but he's also always working out in the middle of the street.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. And then there's another guy, the guy that's known in Fell's Point. He's an older guy, and the he uh, jogs in like very uh, skimpy shorts, and he, they call him the shirtless guy, and he just jogs around like he's kind of be in his seventies, but he just jogs around in these like tiny little briefs, and they call him the shirtless guy.
0: Oh, I don't know that guy. I remember um uh what's up fam? I uh, I can't think of the guy's name, but super jacked, always has a weight belt. He walks around Fells Point as like the unofficial guardian angel of Fells Point. <laughs> yeah, I know that uh, I know what
2: you're talking about. I can't think of his name.
0: And I almost said Leroy and that's not Leroy is the guy who's like, Hi buddy, hi. He's <laughs> kind of mentally uh uh um not all there. Yeah. Nice yeah. guy. Never would never hurt anybody, but apparently did attack people. Like he saved the woman from being raped in the streets. Apparently. Um, wow. uh, 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 he walks up to women. He's like, you, you, uh, you look like a goddess. Like, and he would tell me, he's always like, Hey buddy, I like your hat. That's Leroy. And the other guy that I'm thinking of, who's totally jacked. Gets I know so that mad. Guy. That guy. Yeah, I know you're talking about. He gets so mad when somebody calls him Leroy because of obvious uh, reasons. Um, <laughs> what is that guy's name? Ah, and he's harmless, but he's also just incredibly intimidating. Like that is somebody who we need a documentary about to find out who, what his backstory is. Cause there's like so many rumors of like, he was a giant drug kingpin that went to prison. That's what the, the back, the, uh, the, the the backstory is. If you start to talk to some people, that's what they say. I don't know how true it is, but he was like this big, huge drug kingpin in the seventies in Baltimore. went to federal prison, got out, found Jesus, and tried to turn his life around by being the guardian, like directing traffic in (laughs) those points. Right, yeah, I know
2: who you're talking about, and I've talked to that guy. I just didn't know he had this big backstory. He's one of those We don't know if
0: it's true. We don't know if it's true, but that's one of the backstories that I've heard from people.
2: That's interesting stuff. There's so many characters in this town. There really is. There's so many just interesting, weird fucking people in this town, and I love it. I really do.
0: There is a huge parallel between the music industry and comedy, and I think oh, that's sure. why, beyond the fact of every comedian wants to be a rock star and every rock star wants to be a comedian, other than that factor, I think that the the reason our industry is so parallel is why so many of us who are in one end up flowing into the other. Right. Is because there's just so many similarities to that, and somebody who's you know for you who's you know in uh, emerging in the scenes and stuff. How has that transition been? Because there is a lot of what I call Joe Sib disciples, where if you don't know who Joe Sib is, he is uh, used to be in a a punk band called uh, Wax. I'm pretty sure he started. I want to say it's Sub Pop Records was his record label. Um, And he was just a punk rock guy that is now does stand up comedy. And a lot of his comedy revolves around being in the punk scene, being in bands and stuff like that. Um, and I was somebody who was in the punk metal scene, never really in bands, but adjacent to the scene as a manager, yeah. booker, and stuff like that. So a lot of my comedy doesn't revolve around those days because there's just, other than being at a bar, in a, in a CD bar every night, there's not a lot of parallels in my life between the two, yeah. other than that factor um, and just the irresponsibility of all of us. And by the way, the reason I became a manager and booker is not because I'm not. Is because I'm responsible. It's because I'm the least irresponsible of all my friends. Oh,
2: the one in the land of the blind, the one-eyed ki- the one-eyed man is king. I used to say exactly. that all the time. There were so many managers and I'd be like, You couldn't manage a fucking water fountain. But but you're still better than a guitar player and a drummer at booking shows and keeping everybody <laughs> sober and in the same van and alive with all of their feet and teeth.
0: I used to like in managing a band to babysitting grown adults every day of my life. Yes. I would literally before cell phones, I'd have to check in with these guys every day to make sure they didn't do something stupid like the drummer the day before. Literally, I had to talk our drummer at a jump. We were doing a show at uh, at University of Maryland, uh, not College Park, but in Catonsville. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to, while we're loading in, do this giant 12-foot jump down a set of stairs. Our drummer, John, wanted to do this giant jump on his skateboard. And I'm like, no. Have you seen that thing you do? You break your arm before the show. You can't play the show, John. By the way, we have three more shows next week, so you can't do it after the show either. I'll tell you yeah. what, in three weeks, when we're done with shows for a month, then you could go break your arm.
2: Right. Well, then you just go hide a skateboard. That, you, know, <laughs> I just, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but I, I totally get what you're saying. And, and I think that there are parallels in that definitely where I am in my comedy career before the pandemic, I... Felt like I was starting over playing in How Daddy's again to empty basements. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you go do open mic and there's maybe two people who are that actually interested in the open mic stuff and everybody else is just waiting for their turn. And they're terrible. Um, I would get on these w- weird little bills and I would just do like five minutes and, uh, you know, maybe get one or two laughs and leave like, wow, I'm totally dejected. I thought this was going to kill you. It's hard to judge where you are in the spectrum of things, especially from your position where you are in the, in the low part of the totem pole. So I don't mind that part. Then the pandemic hit and everything stopped. So before I relied a lot on venues where I had a name already established because of podcasting and they knew me and that way I could get in there and, and have my little five or 10 minutes and, and roll out. Um, and so that's pretty much what I stuck to, but like open mics are terrible. Um, there's really no other way unless, you know, somebody and, and, and really, or, or I don't know what, it's hard to get your foot in somewhere. Um, like I said, I was doing those Balticon gigs only because I had done podcasts there for five years and they knew me. Um, if I was just some other guy that had never had any affiliation with them, I don't think they'd ever even return my email. So it's, it's, it's still like that. And it's like that in the band world too. You know, it's all who you know. And who you're friends with and who you can who you can get a show with and i think that applies a lot at least in the comedy scene here i always see you on these big bills and and doing awesome stuff like your bojack horseman reed and stuff like that coming up and i'm just like god damn it i can go to zissimo's and tell jokes to three drunk 50 year old <laughs> cougars you know what i mean <laughs> like that's that's gonna be my bill you know what i mean so it it, it it's it's tough and you know, obviously during the pandemic, everything died. Every, it, it, you know, there's no nothing. So I'm hoping it comes back. My friend, uh, I have a friend who does stand up. His name is Mike. He's he's, colossally funny, and he's telling me that he started doing open mics again. And he's like, you wouldn't believe everybody over the pandemic thinks they're a comedian now. Everybody oh, over yeah. the pandemic has a set now and thinks that they're the they're the next fucking thing. And I, I remember when that period would happen in bands. There would be a band that would get popular, and then there'd be fifty clones that summer like i'm old so like corn was popular so there was 50 bands that sounded just like corn wearing big pants and and tuning down the f and doing all their you know jigga jigga jung jung you know riffs and like you know and and that lasted for like two summers and then everybody wanted to be green day so every you know what i mean it was like it's so it was it, i find the same thing happens in comedy you know everybody we're all everyone's coming out of this pandemic and they they think they're they're Fucking funny because they made their wife in captivity laugh for six months. So now they're gonna, you know what I mean? They're gonna, they're gonna try their hand at up So they made their their wife
0: laugh during. They made their wife laugh through Stockholm syndrome. Right,
2: exactly. When there's nothing else to laugh about in the miserable life, your knock knock jokes fucking killed So <laughs> the, you know what I mean. So it's it's that it that's the kind of mentality I feel like I'm gonna be fighting against. And I I really want to get back into podcasting. I really want to get back into up And I feel like it's just I'm just waiting for the world now. Dude, I feel like a lot of people are. I'm just waiting for everything else to just get back into it.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm watching everything open up around me and this was all right, so when the pandemic hit for me, I immediately jumped into on the all online stuff. Zoom shows, yeah. Instagram live shows, Facebook shows, YouTube shows, Twitch shows, Clubhouse. I've been jumping in and all that and I would say that at the beginning and I'm I'm fine with all of it. I'm not I don't think it's, you know. My attitude towards all this is everyone's like, oh, that's not real stand-up. I'm like, you're telling jokes Zoom shows aren't real stand isn't real stand-up. You're telling jokes for people to laugh at. Where's the difference? Yeah. You know? Like we jokingly talked about a, a Zoom show I did the other day where it's like, hey, we sold 10 tickets for this. Awesome. And then we went, how sad is this? Everything's reopening. Nobody's coming to Zoom shows anywhere, and we're happy about 10 audience members. I went, I've done a lot of in-person shows where we're stoked for 10 audience members. <laughs> yes. so. Yeah, I'd
2: say 10, 10 paying people is a win no matter what medium you're doing it on. That is, you know what I mean? 10
0: people on purpose that isn't girlfriends right. of the band members? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, so I jumped in and I was like, I did all those and halfway through the pandemic, the thing that hit me, and this is the thing that I personally struggle with mentally for me with everything reopening is my biggest fear is I was going to put all this energy and effort into staying on top of comedy, writing new material, per, you know, perfecting my craft more and more. And then when everything opens up, I was going to be overshadowed by all the people who didn't do stand-up during all this because it is about who you know, and people were just going to book them and completely forget about me. And it's kind of happening, but also at the same time, you know, there's that whole self-sabotage when you have depression of not wanting to, to do something to improve the situation. Cause it's better if it fails than, or it's, it's better if it never happens than for it to fail, yeah. which is one of those problematic things in my brain that so many of us as artists have to deal with and, and, and struggle through. And it's good that I recognize it, but I'm also at the same time not doing anything about it. And that's the <laughs> right. part that's, you know, screw me sometimes is I'm like, I literally saw people post who have not done comedy in a year, refuse to do comedy in a year, Talked about how all right, comedy's dead. The pandemic killed comedy. Like ringing in the bell, hey everybody, comedy's dead, right? And then as soon as they get vaccinated, they post, hey, I've been vaccinated. Who wants to put me on a show? Literally, right, those exactly. are direct quotes. And it's like, as a sh- someone who was, you know, if I was a showrunner, I'm like, I don't. You haven't done comedy in a year. What makes you think you're good enough to get on stage? And I've been watching for six weeks because I work sound at a comedy club and I go to shows. And I've, not everybody. Some people have been bouncing back. Some people have been doing well but I'm watching too many people go on stage and open mic booked spots. Uh, They're open micing on booked spots and just eating their dick in front of audiences. And like, what did you expect? Like you came in here with, at the end of the pandemic, it was so much privilege to get booked because you were popular before all this. And in fact, let's be honest, you weren't working that much before the pandemic. What makes (laughs) you think of a year of not working after of a year of barely getting on stage? Do you think that you're good enough to get on these stages? But that's the things that I have to personally deal with. <laughs> and I can understand somebody as you, who's still developing and, and working hard that open mics are terrible. Like the, when I left Baltimore, the open mics we treated like shows cause we didn't have open mics, Yeah, you know, because we had audiences, people would come out to things for the most part. You know, there were certain shows that, that, you know, like red house tavern always had an audience good for good or for bad. Uh, but we had to because we didn't have like very similar to like in the 70s and 80s where they're like, there weren't open mics. We just did shows and we had to learn, you know, we, you know, th- we they had to out. learn by being thrown, throwing in, throwing into the being thrown into the deep end. super Swim a lot similar to that in, in Baltimore, you know, 10, 12 years ago when I started. And now it's a lot different. Now people want to do comedy. They create these open mic scenarios that are very much like the, you know. The, the, what you would think of of just comedians waiting to go on stage and not paying attention to each other. There's no such community. But yeah. the problem is is the difference between comedy and music that I've found is that you could sit at home and perfect a song and practice it and, and know it and go over and over, over again and then do a show and do it perfectly. Comedy, you can't do that. You can't practice a joke at home. You can't right. practice. Comedy is the only art form that has to be publicly displayed and failed to get better at. Yes
2: and there's a there's an element of interaction there's an element of crowd energy and stuff that that really isn't necessary in music it's nice to have in music but it's not necessary you're right you can sit there and play a song all day with headphones on and isolate yourself but you can't do that with comedy you can't tell jokes in a vacuum and and the other the other thing is if you think you are funny if you think that you have any kind of chops I encourage you to get up in front of strangers you don't know and tell you those jokes so that you can shut the fuck up. Because <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because you, I, I can't tell you how many people get up there. I see it over my nights and they're so fucking confident. They're going to kill everybody in that room and nobody jokes, Nobody even cracks a smile. And those guys leave and probably go immediately call their therapist. Do you know what I mean? Like there's like just watching people get crushed like that. And then you, you know that you're coming up next buddy. You know, like it's your turn to go get your ass whooping. And your uh, your ego beat. But but yeah, it, nothing will, uh, as, my, as my old uncles used to say, nothing will put manners on you quicker than going and realizing that you are not as funny as you think you are. Mm-hmm. And you need to work on a craft. It is not something, you know, like Eddie Van Halen is a great guitar player, but that motherfucker practiced day and night to hone his craft. And that skill and talent is only going to take you so far before you have to really... Go out there and be in front of people and do that shit. And it's, that's a hard thing to do when you're getting your ass handed to you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's a hard, thing to, it's a hard thing to do. And believe me, you get up and your band sucks, a couple people might say something. You get up there and tell jokes that aren't funny, your great aunt that you haven't talked to in six years is going to call you up and tell you to stop doing comedy. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like if you get up there and bomb, you'll have everybody that night. The bartenders will be like, hey, nice, nice try. You know what I mean? Like even, even (laughs) they know, like, you know, but if you're in a band that sucks, everyone's like, Oh, okay. They're just kind of polite about it. So something about the the individual nature of it, I think is, is, is interesting as well. You know what I mean?
0: Then that's the other difference between music and comedy is one, all my friends are musicians. So when I started doing comedy, like for realsies, they all came up and was like, dude, I can't do what you do. I'm like, you get on stage every night and you pour your heart out emotionally for people. who're Like, yeah, but I'm not talking to them. Yeah, That was one thing. That's the one difference. The second difference is even, no, we are conditioned that when somebody plays music and they stop playing, we are conditioned to automatically clap. Yes. So even if you are oblivious to people not paying attention, they still clap and they still give you that joy and gratification that yeah. you've been needing and seeking automatically because you're playing. We all think musicians, whether they're good or bad, is... An art. And it is, I mean, music hard, whether you're talented or not, it's still yeah. hard, no matter what, I'm not going to take, take away from musicians, but the amount of times that like I'll do, there used to be a mix open mic here in uh, Boston, actually outside of Boston, Newton, that I used to go to, and I loved it, uh, the open mic jam hosted by Andrew and uh, Terrence, and Terrence uh, was, you know, if you want to know more about it, listen to the Terrence Reeves episode of my podcast that we had um, at the beginning of the pandemic, and it's a mix open mic, musicians, poets, comedians, and it was a great environment. But the amount of musicians I watch go on stage, play a cover song, everyone sings along and has a great time with it, and they walk out with so much confidence and so much acceptance and they feels good good about themselves and I'm like you didn't earn that. Look, it took time to learn that song, but they weren't do they weren't giving you the energy, they were giving the energy to the song that you are playing. Not you, you don't deserve that
2: yeah. <laughs> little gratification. You're ju- you're just a jukebox. You're just you're just the player. Do you know what I mean? We don't all say yeah, that radio is awesome. We say, I love this song. Do you know what I mean? And that's don't get me started about cover bands, because that's a pet peeve of mine. Um, unless you, There's certain ways to do cover bands and do it right. And there's certain ways that you're just a fucking clown, and you're trying to soak up somebody else's hard work. Do you know what I mean? I had a, I had a concept, an idea, and I'll run this past you. <clears throat> I wanted to do a stand-up cover set of a comedian that's long dead and obviously isn't working anymore because they certainly wouldn't appreciate that. (laughs) But how awesome would it be? I love Rodney Dangerfield. He's one of my all time favorite comedians ever. I would love to learn a 15 minute set of his and just do it and do like a, like, like a cover set. Obviously these aren't my jokes. Obviously I'm doing a, a loose impression of him, but like, it's like a cover band, but it's comedy. Do you think that would go over? Or do you think I would be run out of town on a fucking rail? Just curious. (laughs)
0: Now, I will tell you, I've had the same idea as a Halloween uh, fundraiser idea, like comedy cover sets. Everybody covers a a comedian. They come up dressed up and they do the whole thing. Yeah. And I initially brought that up and so many people got mad at the idea. And then years later, other people have been doing a similar thing. Yeah. And I'm like, as long as we're all in on on, on, on the joke and we're all in on, we're doing it for charity and it's, that's fine. Right. However, they're, get ready to be very disappointed because there are celebrity impersonators of comedians of George Carlin. Oh yeah. And Robin Williams. And it is, and you would say, Dennis, what's the difference between your idea and what they're doing? The difference is, is I'm doing this for charity, for fun, for all of us. They're doing it because they need the acceptance and they're not putting the work in. Okay. Yeah. They're putting in the work to remember Robin Williams jokes, but they're living off of somebody else's hard work. Right. And that's where I've had them as, as someone who was promoting the comedy scene here. They would message me to promote the shows. And I'm like, absolutely not. Fuck you. I hope you die. I hope your tour bus crashes on the way here. Like <laughs> I've messaged them back with such vitro and hatred of it. And I'm okay with like, I love remakes of songs. I don't call them cover songs. Like when real big fish does a song, they do a song in their style. They took right. something and they created something new from it. Yes, I like that. But that band that did zombie by the cranberries did a, just a bad version of this, of the cranberries version. And I don't right. like it. You know, there's so many things like that. And there's such a nuance line between all of those things. Uh, but ultimately I think that that is again, a fun thing. What your, your idea is a fun thing. to I do. I would go
2: see that. Like I would like, if somebody was like, Hey, this guy's going to do like uh like, you know, so-and-so set from like 1978, I'd go watch that. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, Andy Dick, you know, not Andy Dick, who's the, who's the Andy guy from uh, taxi and
0: Kaufman, huh? Kaufman.
2: Yes. Thank you. Like if somebody did that, I would totally go see that. So let me ask you, I, I hate to interview you, but no, I, this, this made me think of it. So, all right. If you're going to cover an act, you know, that's taboo. I understand. So famous comedian, um, the, uh, hillbilly guy with the mustache. What's his name? Um, oh, uh, Larry, the cable guy no but he was on that tour
0: jeff foxworthy
2: yes so you know his story he bought somebody's act and and just and just did it like he in the in the early 80s this comedian in vegas was retiring and he literally bought this guy's jokes for ten thousand dollars and that's how he got his start in comedy don't you think that's kind of disingenuous as well at that at that point you're a cover band that bought the original. Do you know what I mean? That's like, that's like buying the Beatles back catalog. So you can be a Beatles cover band. Do you know what I mean? Like, what do you think of, I find that disingenuous and I don't find that guy very funny. And, but anyway, I was just curious if you had a hot take on that move. Well, do you ever buy a comedian's old set and, and walk around like you fucking did it? You know what I mean? Like that's, there are,
0: I will say there are people like when I started doing comedy, we have stopped doing comedy and I will like, I'll I'll give you fifty bucks for an old joke of yours. Was so good <laughs> that great. that joke was so good, and I want to buy it and do it. Not because I need to write a joke, because that joke's so good it needs to live on. Yes, and I'm willing yes. to pay for that joke to live on. There's certain people yes.
2: that have happen. So whole set, I, but a yeah, the uh, You know, that's a that's a bit.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna. I uh, so uh, full disclosure. I have worked with the blue collar guys. Uh, oh really? I, I was not on stage. <laughs> uh I was hired by Sirius Satellite Radio, Sirius XM Now, Sirius at the time, to launch the blue-collar comedy channel on Sirius XM as the uh, on-site engineer and producer. And I was backstage at the Warner Theater in D.C. when they were filming one of the road movies. I don't know if it was the second or third one. Uh So I was there with their two hosts, um, and Larry the Cable Guy came in and sat with us for hours because he was the last act up. And he sat there. And talked and hung out and we joked and cracked, uh, you know, cracked up. Look, Larry the Cable Guy has laughed at my jokes. I want to point that out. <laughs> I have ta- I have done jokes in front of Larry the Cable Guy and he has laughed. And I will tell you, he's a swell guy, super nice, amazing comedic talent, uh, timing. I've never seen somebody with better comedic timing. And you can hate him for his shtick and whatever it is, but he does write jokes and he and he works hard on them, um, and he is a super nice guy. And I will tell you this: him and I took a picture together. And as somebody went to take the picture, he finally goes, get her done. And I almost punched him. <laughs> <laughs> and I have that picture and it is on my Facebook.
1: That's hilarious. Uh, and, I,
0: and I, as I was packed up and leaving, I ran into Bill Envall. He walked in just like chewing on, chewing on, on tobacco and just like, yeah. hey, what's up? Very quiet, very unassuming, had no interest in being interviewed or talking to any of us. And as soon as I'm walking out of the back of the Warner Theater uh, through the loading dock, I don't want to say a chill came over me, but a presence hit me uh-huh. and I open the door and I'm carrying all my gear and I look out and there is Ron white hanging out on the dock with a scotch and a cigar talking to, to a friend who also has a cigar and a scotch. And I walk up and I put my gear down and I just reached my hand. I was like, Hey, Mr. Ron white. I just want to say uh, I was working with Sirius to, to launch a new blue collar channel. I'm a huge fan of yours. I just wanted to shake your hand. And he goes, Oh, well for that, I'm a big fan of yours. And shakes my hand. And I'm like, and I, <laughs> I don't want to bother you. I'm going to leave. He's like, you can bother me if you want. I'm like, this has been the best take care. And then I left and I was like, Oh my God. Um, and I don't get starstruck easily or very much. And yeah, the, I that's would say, awesome. I was, yeah. Super, swellest biggest smile. Like he has a presence that fills a room. Um, so that's me working with them. I never, that. <laughs> um, that's awesome. I will defend what they do. Cause also with Larry, if you don't know, um, Larry got big by way in, in Florida, Waking up early every morning and calling random radio stations yeah. to be a pretend pretend listener. Not yeah. just not like, I knew Larry the Cable Guy because I thought he was just a guy that lived in Baltimore calling 98 Rock. Right. No, it comes to find out. He was doing that at every radio station every day for years. Yeah. And, he his got, name out and there.
2: eventually he got paid for that too. His real name's Eric or something. I saw a show about his real life story. It was an interesting cat. I, I don't care for his shtick. But I, I do recognize talent, and his, you're right, his comedic timing is un, impeccable. Yeah. And he, he's got some funny jokes. I've, I've laughed at his jokes. It, you know, I grew up in Carroll County, so the country shtick doesn't work on me too well. But you know, I totally respect him, and, and I, I respect those guys. There's just the, the one guy in particular I, I don't think is particularly talented. But yeah. I, other than that, you know, I'm not trying to get you out of work this is Dennis's friend talking. Dennis loves you guys. And please don't take away anything from him. Uh, it's well, just I will me. I would say
0: that Jeff by like, I can say that Jeff is a very smart businessman. Sure. And is a hard worker. And the fact that he bought jokes, but since then he has written his own material, yeah. even though he does have writers, Ron White has writers as well. Sure. So there is, he's putting in the work and the dedication to things. So I can respect him. I don't have to like his material to respect sure. him. And That's the other thing about comedy that's different than every other art form is comedy is so personal and has to be so relatable and you have to be so likable because nobody has ever said, except for comedians about each other, but nobody ever says, oh, that guy, he's an asshole and I can't stand him, but he's funny. Like, nobody says that. And that's why it hurts when you bomb because it's not that they're not liking your comedy. It's them not liking you.
2: Yeah. 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 And
0: that hurts. It does. It does. All right. Well, now that the the world's coming back to hopefully the way it was, um, what's wh- what's the plan for for Jack in the future? And what are you planning to do? Like, are you still doing a podcast, or are you planning for your next podcast?
2: I am planning for the next one. I'm not currently doing one. I did one called the Mythwits, um, where we brought in um, scientists and astronauts and interviewed them, and we had fun with them. Um, and so I would like to get more into something that's that's science related. Uh, podcasting or, or something along the lines of, of that or humor. Um, but again, there's no rush on that. I really do want to get back in the standup. I really want the clubs to open back up and, and really get back up there because you're right, the, the only way that you get good at that is just doing it. So I really want to get more time in with that. Um, I'm continuing to write and work on other things. I have several pro- writing projects that I'm working on. Um, besides the Hal Daddy's memoir, I have two works of fiction that I'm working on. One's a short historical fiction that, um, takes place in Baltimore. And there's another one that's a little different and I'm just trying to, uh, I'm pretty much just trying to throw as much shit at the wall as possible and seeing what's sticks, Um, just like, a, I think a lot of creatives try to do. So that's pretty much what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to hone my stand-up craft. I'm trying to do some podcasts as much as I can and maybe start my own and, uh, and definitely just keep writing as much as I can and, and just, uh, see what it takes. And there's so much that's in limbo right now because the world is just in limbo that it's really not, you know, I wish I had like a solid plan. But right now that's pretty much just keep digging at what I'm doing. And, and that's pretty much what my plan is. You know what I mean? All
0: right. Yeah. And that's the thing about us creatives. We always have to be working, whether yeah. we, whether it's where we're doing it on purpose or doing it as a hobby, we're always having to create something. Like that's the reason why I finally took the plunge and did stand up for real, like before I started doing this, I would go to open mic every once in a while. I had a friend that a couple of friends that I helped write jokes for and help workshop stuff with them. And I was writing jokes in radio, you know, everything. Every My goal in radio, the few times I was on is every time I crack open the mic, I'm doing one of two things, either being funny or being informative. Those Because those are the things that I took away from the jocks on, on WHFS when yeah. I was growing up on HFS 99.1 WHFS is that. They were either funny or informed, like they're music nerds. But they were also funny, and I tried to do that in my, my career. So I was always writing jokes. And when I finally, what got me to finally start doing stand up for realsies, is I, the radio station I was working at, I I lost a job at the restaurant I was working at. I was still working at a radio station part time, and I didn't feel connected to the station. And I was like, I'm gonna take my creative arts into my own hands, my own entertainment into my own hands. I'm gonna finally do stand up again, and that's what dove in. Yeah. What made me dive in is because. I wasn't getting what I wanted anywhere else and I needed to do it. And stand is the only place where you can do it all on your own terms. You don't have people to, to, to check in with. You don't have people to organize and get like bands are great, but it's, it's There's like only a one person on the van. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you have to get five people to try to get together to practice and oh, organize. And it's, terrible. it's, it's a lot of work. And I respect people that, that, you know, that can make it work. Um, but I'm, I'm an individual and I've tried so many times, to, to organize things. And it takes a lot of work. And I know, so it's great that you're putting your efforts into so many things still. Um, and I can't wait to read any of the books when you, when you finish them. And uh, I hope people uh, who are listening will follow you. And uh, when those things come out, they'll find it too. So Jack, this has been great. Thank yeah. you. This Thanks. is a long, like I said earlier, long, <laughs> over, long overdue oh, conversation yeah. that we Definitely. needed to have.
2: Definitely. Uh, and Thank it you great. so much. I appreciate it. I love it. Yeah. And I this mean, is a
0: good thing that the pandemic brought us together, even though we're 400 miles apart. Yeah. Because, you know, well, I yeah. built a studio. I could have done this call at any time. But <laughs> <laughs> this studio was built to be remote. But uh, here we are, and we're able to, to, to do it. So many good stories. Yeah. That I didn't even know about. So, all right, bud. Take care.
2: All right. You too. Thank you.